Hey everybody, we're back. It is episode three time, the episode entitled Oathbreaker. Wow, do we have a lot to discuss. There is so much that happened in this episode. There was several scenes that have been long anticipated, and I mean long anticipated. Without spoiling what happens in the books, because we don't do that in our show-only reviews, I will say that this scene at the Tower of Joy, it's called, with when young Ned fights Arthur Dane and Sir Gerald Hightower, that scene happens in the first book of Game of Thrones. That's as far as I'll go with book spoilers. So, and the point there is that Game of Thrones was written in August of 1996. So some of us have been waiting almost 20, in my case, 15 years, because I read the books in 2001 for this scene. And man, we'll talk about it in more detail when we get to it. But I was very happy with it overall with this episode. What were your thoughts on this episode in general from a high level, plus, uh, negative, mixed feelings? I definitely liked it. Um, I've, there's almost always some minor things to, to complain about, but sure. there were definitely lots of things in this one that I liked. I, I, my notes are, I like that. I wrote that like three times. <laughs> <laughs> Great. Well, we are eager to get talking about this. Of course, um, as people have been commenting on our shirts a lot, now that we have this new angle and view to see people see, we've got this great Han Solo and Carbonite action here. Indiana Jones discovering himself. How cool is that? Very meta. And I, of course, have an extremely on-theme shirt myself, the Now It Ends Tower with Blue Roses. Can't do better than that, I think. I can't be more on point than that with my shirt, I think. <laughs> so, where to start? Let's talk about, first of all, welcome back, Sean. <laughs> Good to be here. We're, welcome back, everybody who's been keeping with us this season. I know you have a lot of choices out there and reviews to watch. We appreciate that you stick with us at History of Westeros. There's people who, you guys who love to get deep into the details. We hopefully are continuing to deliver for you. Hopefully you like what we're doing. And we'll keep doing it, regardless. So, let's go. Oathbreaker, name of the episode. How did that apply to the plot lines? Sometimes the plot lines really tie in well with the title. Sometimes it's a little looser. Uh, this one felt like sort of in the middle as far as its application. What did you think about the title and how it applied? I honestly didn't didn't consider. I didn't realize the name of the episode until after the episode <laughs> and uh, reflected on it a little bit. First of all, I was a little confused because in my mind I was like, Oathbreaker, I thought they already, didn't already have an episode called Oathbreaker. I was like, wait, that was Oathkeeper. Oathkeeper was when Jamie gave Brienne the sword. Sword Oathkeeper. And if I remember right, there several other, you know, oaths were made or kept in that episode. I, 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 I wish I could remember a little bit better, but I do kind of remember that we talked about the theme of uh, the title of that episode. So in this one, I feel, uh, I might revisit it as we hit each point, but I feel like the main one, the main thing that comes to mind for me is in the wall. One, um... I mean, it's like a couple episodes late, but the Oathbreaker, Alice and Thorn, Alice Thorn, and uh, the other knights who stabbed John. But more specifically, and I've said this before, I think I wonder, in John's mind, and I'll keep in mind at this moment, John's mind isn't where it normally is. It's hard to assess what's going on with John right now. But I think, as in general for his character, he's not looking for technicalities to justify his actions, right? And I think it's it's arguable if he's <laughs> dropping the mic, <laughs> King's Landing, or leaving uh, the wall, uh, that he's breaking his oath. You know, and like it's so, arguable, yeah. Right. In the same way that Sam was trying to find a technicality in the the oath, where maybe you it's okay to sleep with a woman. Oh, you know, you're not don't have a wife, and you can't have kids, but I mean you can't have sex. But to John's like, no, no, no. He's still 
felt guilty over sleeping with a thief, right? He he believes in the spirit of it, not the letter, you know. Yeah, and the wording of the Knight's Watch vow is, my you know, now my watch begins, it shall not end until my death. He did die, I mean, right? But like <laughs> True, I, I agree, technically you're right. However, I don't think technicalities matter to John. Or, in the past, haven't mattered. Yeah. Maybe now he's like, ah, Fuck it, man. Everyone else is doing whatever they want. <laughs> I got killed. I got nothing to lose now, you know. <laughs> well, there's a couple other themes. We're going to start with that topic, but before we get to that, we'll, we'll round out the meaning of the title, Oathbreaker. The Tower of Joy scene had some... It, it certainly... Uh, oaths were relevant there, but I don't know that anyone broke any oaths there. They certainly... The Kingsguard were loyal unto death. Ned was loyal to Robert and to his sister. So... I don't know that any oaths were broken in that scene, but oaths were certainly important in that scene. Yeah. Arya is kind of lying to her to the faceless men, too. They're teaching her to lie, and she's using it against them. I don't know if that counts as oath-breaking. She didn't swear an oath to them, necessarily, although she kind of has indicated that she's, you know, a disciple, that she's following in their creed, in a sense, but she's kind of, you know, she's still Arya underneath it all. We'll, we'll get to that in time, too. I thought that was or interesting. Or is she? Or is she? And that's the best I can do relating the topic to the title, or the topics to the title. If you all have better ideas, please write us, let us know, tweet at us, at history at Westeros History on Twitter or on Facebook, or email us at westeroshistory at gmail.com. We get a lot of emails from you all, especially during the season. I can't respond to all of them. It's too much time, and we need to be working on episodes. That's our focus. But I read every email, and we often incorporate y'all's thoughts into these. So... Do not think that your emails are being ignored because you don't get an answer. That's just the way we have to do things with our time we have. So, thanks for the emails. Keep them coming. A lot, Like I said, a lot of times y'all's thoughts get in these episodes and color the things that we talk about. So, very valuable to have good feedback. So, let's talk about the wall. Start there, like the episode does, as every episode has so far this season has started with hmm. the wall. Yeah. Every episode has ended... In the north, this is the first episode that didn't end with John. It ended with the Bolton scene instead, but it was but still, still in the, the north. north. Yeah. yeah. So that seems to be a big part of the focus of the se- of the show so far this season. Of course, plenty of other things happening, but that is where the most time is being spent. Did it not? Did it not end with John? I think it did end in, in the wall. Oh, you're right. I'm sorry. It did yeah, end with John. Yeah. It ended with him walking off. Yeah. You're absolutely yeah. right. I got that backwards. You're totally right. <laughs> Um, I've even watched it four times already, and I, so it's just all a blur in my head. So you're totally right. So every episode this season, <laughs> strike that, every episode this season has started and ended at the wall. Clearly that's uh, where they're focusing, and you can tell why. It's kind of self-explanatory why that's important. So let's talk about John's return. Immediately, personally, I thought this was, you know, you know, Yoke Boy, our, one of our reg, uh, regular contributors on our Book to Show episodes, as well as the half of the Radio Westeros team, pointed out to me when we were talking about Kit Harrington's acting in general. He, he doesn't have the gr- greatest reputation as an actor on the show. To be fair, I think that, and Yoke Boy pointed this out to me, and I agree with him, that, that it's a hard role to play. He's a brooding, unemotive character. It's hard to, you know, facial acting is a big part of of being a good actor or actress, and this character isn't supposed to have a lot of facial emotions. So that's limiting. It's not that he's, you know, just straight-faced. It's what the character calls for. And I actually thought, so that limits him somewhat. So I think some of the criticism against him is a little unfair because of the role he's playing. But I thought he was excellent in this scene. He was, he was his shivering, his terror, his, his physical acting when come, jumping off the table and getting wrapped in the thing. That, I thought it was good. What, what about you? I agree. I liked it all. Uh, right on. I don't think, 
I don't think he's an especially good actor, but I'm not criticizing him in any way. And I also agree, if someone were to criticize him, I would immediately point out that how how is he supposed to act differently? What is he supposed to do? You know what I mean? Like he's he's playing the character of Jon Snow. You know? Yeah. Okay, so let's let's say what? How do you think, or what are your thoughts rather on the way this was handled with Jon? Just he, there was nothing. He Melisandre asked, like, "What did you see? What did you see?" And he's like, "Nothing. It was just emptiness." I kind of like that, you know, rather than trying to give some big explanation of what happens after death, it's just nothing. I kind of I yeah. like that. Mel Sondra didn't want to hear that. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I, I thought about it a little bit, actually. I thought, for, for one thing, it's not, you got to keep in mind how, like, uh, unique of a scenario this is. And I feel like, I don't think the conclusion is from this, oh, when you die, there's nothing. Maybe when you're murdered, there's nothing. Maybe mm. when you die without fulfilling your destiny, there's nothing. Maybe when you die, there's mm. two days of nothing. And you know what I mean? Like, it's a it's a little bit of a leap to just like, oh, must be nothing when you die, you know. Uh, but even if it is just nothing when you die, I mean, that, that's kind of what I believe anyway. So I'm not going like, <laughs> to try to find some argument against it, you know. But uh, uh, And even if everyone doesn't think logically about the other potential meanings or ways it could go... Uh, doesn't mean it won't have an, an effect or an impact on people. Like, I wonder if Melisandre finding out that it's nothing. Like, you can imagine for a moment, she's like, holy shit, it worked. <laughs> the Lord of Light is real. What did you see? He's like, nothing. She's like, oh. And the dad is like, give us the room. Like, Mel's like, yeah. what? Come on. Yeah. He just that came That bothered me a little bit. Yeah, yeah like, like, what? <laughs> I, my first thought when he said that, I was like, what the hell, man? I let her stay a second. Yeah, she brought him back. <laughs> in fact, I know, yeah. call some other people in. <laughs> like, Tormund might want to see this, you know. But of all people, it seems like she should have the right to be there for this moment. Yeah. And it bothered me a little bit extra when she did leave the room and he pulls up a chair and has a little conversation with him. I don't think he said anything that she couldn't have been there for. You know, he wasn't like, we need to take her out. You know, it wasn't like, <laughs> don't listen to what she tells you. You know, it seemed like she just, could have been part of all that easily. I think he you know? just didn't want her to interrupt because he knew she'd have a lot of questions. Yeah, like, yeah I suppose, uh, yeah. You don't want to have all these religious questions mm. asked right now. Come on, give him a minute. Give the guy a minute. Because Davos was definitely doing that. He was definitely, like, trying to be empathetic. He was like, this seems crazy to me. I can't even imagine how it feels to you. Yeah. You know, but yeah. Davos is the one who, who requested this happen. So, yeah. you know, like, on some level, he's not... He's just kind of humoring John, you know, in a, in a good way, um, which is, and, and to be fair, in the after the episode, when Dan and Dave talked about how they made the scene, I thought it was really interesting. They had some interesting thoughts on it. They, he mentioned, I always get confused which is Dan and which is Dave. It doesn't matter in this case. They, whichever one of them it was, pointed out that John's the only person alive who knows what it's like to have been murdered. Because murdering means you're dead, so you don't get to have feelings on your own murder. So this is an extremely unusual situation for a person. And it's just, I think he used the term existential terror, which I think is a great descriptor. Like, yeah, like he has, he's just like, what the hell? I'm dead. Like, I don't, you know, it's just, he would be so confusing. He, none of us can have any idea what that's like. I, I do want to point out, because I, I had a thought on that too, and, and this isn't to take away from the point. But yeah. there are people who, like, maybe not as definitively dead as John, like, oh, sure, laid like their on the table for, for three second. days. Yeah. But there have been people who have been shot, were in a coma for a week, and then came back. And some of them were 
It was attempted murder. I think there is some precedent for what a person would feel like in this in this. Okay, moment, maybe you know? sort of like that. I mean, I guess you wouldn't say that they were murdered. They were almost murdered. Yeah. <laughs> and you can see, yeah, you have the near-death experience. You have being in yeah. a coma and coming back. And there's stories of people seeing light. and They easily could have died. And they do remember being shot and effectively going unconscious, you know. And I guess you could say so, that's the closest we can uh, get to the no, same thing. No, right, right. Yeah. And... Even that isn't like, it's not like, I remember when I was shot, went into a coma for a week and came back thinking I was murdered. Like, it's still a very, very, very unique thing to happen. I wonder if we have any listeners or watchers out there who have been that close to death. <laughs> Let us know what it was like for you. And it's probably even more rare in this world because in modern times we have doctors and medicine and whatnot to, to bring us back from these yeah, that's moments a good point. where in, in those days it would be even more unique of an experience. Um, so and, uh, it does make you wonder, you know, like, we were already kind of wondering, is he going to kill? Is, can they afford to kill those men? You know, like, uh, <laughs> maybe they can afford a little less when they have a whole horde of uh, yeah, wildlings. Yeah, wildlings, help, and it know. was just, you know, they kept it nice and tidy. It was only the four of them, you know, it was just the ringleaders. I guess they, you know, there were other people, all, certainly a lot of people participated in it, but only the four ringleaders were the ones that they killed. I guess they decided that everyone else was going along with it. You know, we can't just kill everyone. Just the ringleaders. We need the rest of them. We need them as soldiers. You know, they were following orders, blah, blah, blah. You know, they weren't... Uh, I think this is... I think it's a good kind of compromise, the way they handled it. Let's talk real quick before we talk about the executions, because I think that's one of the most interesting parts about this. Let's talk a little bit more about Melisandre real quick. I imagine that the most of what's going to happen with Melisandre we have yet to see. We got very little of her in, in this episode, which is a little surprising, but I imagine it's, it's still to come. She mentions the prince that was promised, and that Stannis wasn't the prince that was promised. Someone has to be. So she's clearly hinting at the possibility that it's John. The fact that he's been brought back to life strongly pushes her thinking that. Um, what does that mean anything to you? The concept of prince that was promised. You know, the fact that maybe she's thinking it was it's John instead of da Stannis. Well, a couple things. Uh, him coming back might kind of lead certain uh, thought processes or you know ideas about what to do or what's coming, but. To what extent does she feel that way about Beric Dondarrion? You know what I mean? I don't. Maybe she does in the back of her mind. Wonder if he's some key player. But uh, it seems like she has as much reason to think that Beric does as John does. You know, yeah. other than maybe she saw it or she did it, but she she she. I don't know. Uh, yeah, it's, obviously, it's, she's got to see some importance here and be a little more connected to it. But it, she, I feel like she's already got to be contemplating this concept and Beric Dondarrion. I, I wonder if the show or the story will bother to get back to that if she if it, how important it will be to her um the or if it'll just be watering the bridge moving forward from here i'm not sure i think that a lot of us were expecting to see more of a reaction to see how it would affect her faith and all that this episode i guess they're going to delay that a little bit and that's that's yeah. fine i, I would have i wanted to see it but i can understand there's so much to fit in every episode as long I, as we get something i don't mind that it's being pushed an episode or two i am very interested in it but a little of me is afraid that we won't get much of that that, that she might be more tertiary that she's just been present for a lot of these hmm. main players and integral even but not a focus you know yeah, so they possible. may not focus on her if she doesn't stay she may tag along with john and, and stay a focus you know or stay integral but but i can imagine uh gears being shifted and seeing less of her i i, I hope that's not the case but <laughs> right it, but there's only so much time you know there is a lot going on there are a lot of characters a lot of stories so well, let's talk about the actual executions i thought this was a very strong scene a more good acting from kid harrington then he was really troubled by it he was trembling while the bodies were shaking he hesitated a little bit before swinging the sword 
the, the camera lingered on Ollie's face. Everyone said something except Ollie. And it's just so, it was powerful because John really did not want to do it. But he has no choice. I mean, this is the law. They tried to kill him. Like, what else can he do? He can't really set them free, I don't think. And I think the fact that they focused on Ollie's dead face was really powerful. For one thing, when it happened, I shouted out a lot of memes. Because, of course, going to be a lot of memes are made from that shot of dead Ollie. Mostly people celebrating it and cheering it. And I get that. He's the, you know, he killed, he tried to kill the hero. He was a traitor to one of our favorite characters. But I, f I have a little more sympathy for him. And I have sympathy for John having to kill him. Because he had, this, he's a boy, you know? And that's just awful for John to have to do that. And, like, this, he was, he, he made him his, you know, his personal squire. And then to have to do this, and it's, I think it's part of why he walked off, and part of why he's like, I'm done with this, you know, because he's, first of all, he's just mixed up in the head having been brought back to life. Second of all, then he, first thing he has to do, being brought back to life, is execute Ollie. He probably didn't mind executing Thorne and the others that much, but he still had to execute fellow brothers, and that's still really hard. And he, and as a northerner, he had to pass the sentence himself, he swung the sword, and then watched them struggle to fight for Aaron. It's just, it's just pretty brutal. I uh, I have a, a slew of thoughts here. Uh, Go for it. One, it harkened back to when he had to kill Janos Slint. Yeah. Even Janos Slint, who maybe more than any character in the show, uh, maybe not Joffrey or Ramsay, but among the top, among the five best things in the world, <laughs> <laughs> among the five most deserving of death characters in a show is Janos Slint, and John struggled with that. And I could not get out of the title of another episode, by the way, Kill the Boy. Mm. And in that episode... Amon was telling John to kill the boy with him himself. You, you're going to have to accept the responsibility. You're going to have to do tough stuff. You're going to have to be a man. Yeah. You can't, you know, it's certain ideas of, I don't know. This episode, he literally or, killed the boy. <laughs> or honor or whatever you might have had. Some of that might have to go out the window for what you need to do to be a leader here, you know. And uh, But it, I still couldn't stop. I couldn't get that phrase out of my head. Kill the boy, kill the boy. <laughs> and I thought he might not do it. I really thought that some combination of, uh, you know, questioning reality even am i even really here doing this is this a dream is this what i'm supposed to do in my dream am i having some kind of vision what would my father think it's just a boy you know uh paired against how can i let them go like even if i even if i wanted to show mercy and everyone would accept me showing mercy even if it was like okay as a leader or as a a, a member of the night's watch or whatever to show mercy, even if it would be accepted to do that. He still can't trust them, not in a way, you know what I mean? Like, what are these, you know, like, yeah. okay, let's go. How can you ever trust me who the literally now. killed you? Like, <laughs> yeah, like, no, you killed me. Like, that's uh, a phrase that's never really been uttered and before. I, can I imagine, can't trust you, you killed me. <laughs> and I can imagine them having reactions where they may have been trustworthy enough, at least to not kill, maybe keep them in prison or to make them word or, or send them home or to give them a trial, something, I'm not sure. But... They, they weren't like, none of them were like, we were so wrong, we didn't realize it, I wish I thought of it differently, you are great, so on, so on. They were like, screw you anyway, man, this is weird. You know, like, I have nothing to say. You know, like, no one had any kind of defense to give John a reason to, and yet he still struggled with it, I think, showing the, he did. I'm going to say the, the goodness in him, if you will, you know. He made himself, he made himself watch, and, you know, he, that look on his face was just, he just not, <laughs> he was so unhappy to be doing, and just so confused in general, you know, the guy just was brought back to life, what are you going to do? So, I liked, I liked uh, Thorne's speech too, I liked his, you know, I did what I thought was right, just like John said, when he woke up, he's like, I did what I thought was right and they killed me for it. It's just, it's the similar kind of thing, these people, 
it's they're doing what they think is right for the realm, both Thorne and John, and they just disagreed, and it, it was just too bad that they it came to that, you know, because Thorne clearly useful guy in fighting, you know, the bad guys, whoever they are, whether they're the Wildlings or the or the White Walkers, brave leader, unafraid of, you know, did what needed to be done in terms of fighting, you know, like as far as a leader, eh, you know, some of his decisions maybe were a little too short-sighted, but as, you know, as a, as a warrior, he was super valuable. To be fair, even a leader who makes bad decisions can be a good leader. His decisions might have been short-sighted, but men were following him, you know, we've mm -hmm. seen him be a jerk, like training the new people and his attitude with John and other characters, and yet when he said, all right, I killed the Lord Commander, I did it for reasons X, Y, Z, now I'm Lord Commander, and everyone was like, okay. They didn't, like, run out of the room or yelling, are you? You know, he, he commands mm -hmm. a certain amount of respect. It's true. Which I believe par probably comes from proficiency outside of being a warrior as well. He knows He was highborn. He knows, yeah. you know, he knows. Yeah, he's, yeah he, he's not some yahoo. You know, he's definitely has a lot of notches in his belt. Uh, and he might have some flaws also, but he's not... I want to think that he's not just stupid or evil. Yeah, no, I agree with that. Yeah, experienced and well-meaning. In know? fact, this is this actually just brings back a memory. Remember the scene? I think it's at the before the battle for the wall when Thorn is in charge still, and Thorn tells John, "You were right. We shouldn't have sealed the. You know, we should have sealed the gate. We should yeah. have blocked the gate." He yeah. was like, "But you know what? When I'm in charge, you know, I'm in charge. Leader has to make a decision. You can't second guess yourself. You know, if you're ever in charge, you can't second guess." Yeah. That that looms large now, and I, I think it's it's an important thing. So I think that that's a nice little tie-up. If you look at the history of John and and Alistair and their dealings with each other, it's true that other than the betrayal and stabbing, they mostly dealt with each other fairly honorably. It, you know, even though Thorne treated John badly in a lot of ways, there was still the the behind it all was loyalty to the Night's Watch. You know, even his version yeah. of loyalty to the Night's Watch. On uh, even early on, one of the first impressions we get. Is him kind of bullying Sam. You know yeah. what I mean? Mm -hmm. And kind of even using John as a tool to bully Sam. Which is so easy for us in our air-conditioned houses with mm -hmm. the internet to be judgmental of. But when they're on the front line in harsh conditions, Sam truly is uh, a liability. A, a liability. could be seen as a liability, right. yeah. Um, John saw that he could be useful in non-combat right. ways, and that, that was Alistair's exactly. mistake. But yeah, you're right. right. But, but up front, Alistair's been there a long time. He's seen a lot of liabilities come and go, and he's not going to get one of these good men killed because of this fuck up here. Mm -hmm. And, you know, John, you're not going to let it happen either. Whip him into shape. I don't care if he dies trying. You know what I mean? Yeah. Alistair isn't, like, trying to be evil. He's trying to protect the team, you know? So let's talk about... It appears that Ed is de facto Lord Commander now. Maybe he'll have to have a vote or something to make it official. I mean, I guess there's really... The, one of the things with... With the situation now, is there's just nobody else left <laughs> as yeah, far as named yeah. Night's Watch members. The only ones whose names we knew were hung, yeah. and then there's a few others, but none of them are like remotely close to command. And Ed is the only like outstanding member whose name we even have. So, from our perspective as viewers, it doesn't make sense for someone else to get it. Yeah. And and also it makes sense even if we didn't know the names of a bunch of other characters. John just walked up, the person that you know the. I don't know, the chosen one, if you will. Yeah. <laughs> it just said, hey, he's the guy now. So yeah, it seems like everyone would accept He's him. very established, too. I mean, he's yeah. been around a bit. He's a survivor. He went to hard home and came back. I yeah. mean, he's got a lot of clout within the yeah. within the watch. And he's the he led the led the resistance to Thorn again as well. So that's pretty big. I feel like the only 
way a challenge could come if they even follow this intrigue. I can imagine, like Melisandre, we may not get much more of the wall, at least not until the zombies actually show up. I think we might start following John as he leaves and other characters and so on. I agree. Um, but the only potential challenge would be another wildling, maybe. Like, I don't think sure. this is likely, but I can imagine Tormund maybe yeah, would. Or he's the maybe, only wildling you know, we know right now, too. Yeah. <laughs> We're running out of named characters in the North. It might be time to bring a few new ones into the mix, maybe. <laughs> so what is what's John going to do now? He just walks off. He's like, my watch has ended. It was a little abrupt, yeah. but uh, I think it was kind of cool, and I, and I like that they went that direction. Maybe he could have been executed differently, but I, I won't complain about that. I don't think I think it's gonna be short lived though because he's gonna find out about Sansa and or Rickon and that's gonna change everything for him. At least it will give him direction, something to do. If he doesn't, if right now he's like, I don't know what's, you know, I don't know what I'm gonna do with my life. No, yeah. that will give him direction, at the very least. I what, think what that uh, one. I think that the I can understand cinematic moments. You know what I mean? You want to make a point. You want to get an image on a screen, yeah. and it isn't always realistic. It isn't always exactly what would happen in real life. And, but when those moments happen, I, I, you know, I can accept them for the, the, the point they're trying to get across, but I still can't help but find humor in it. I just, <laughs> when he like gives Ed the, the, the coat and walks off, in my mind, I just imagine him being like, oh, wait, uh, hey, Ed, I, my little clip for my scabbard, is that, I think it's in the pocket. <laughs> thanks, thanks. I had him make this special. So, all right, all right, bye. I'm, I'm out of here now. Oh, shoot. Uh, hold on. Uh, <laughs> I need some food, actually. Yeah, yeah. Uh, some mutton for the road, and I'm yeah, a like, hunter. Uh, just like that. <laughs> Whatever you have prepared for Davos, I'll take that. Oh, I, I, I didn't get my good shoes. These are. I need to. Uh, <laughs> I changed real quick because the whole thing with the hanging, and I, I need my other shoes to. Uh, Someone took my boots because they thought I was dead. I woke yeah. up naked. I mean, it just seems so silly that he's just like swings the sword, hands off his coat, and starts walking down the road. <laughs> <laughs> What's important, I think, is he did the thing he needed to do. Yeah. Because the reason the Davos brought him back, ostensibly, is because of this overwhelming problem between the Night's Watch and the Wildlings. If they're at war, if they don't get along, well, the White Walkers are just going to have a cakewalk coming through. And Davos, I think, saw the need for the one guy who could unite them to come back. And John didn't. He didn't really come back. He came back, but he didn't stay to lead them. He, what he did do was remove the thing that was threatening that peace between the two groups. He yes. killed the ringleaders yes. of, you know, the ones who did not want to work with the wildlings. So that's at least set up so he didn't leave things undone in that sense. Of course, the White Walkers are still coming in. There's still that big problem that he's walking away from for now. But yeah, it's really hard to say where it's going to go. So I think we'll have to leave it there and wait until we get more. And that's uh, always fun. We've got a lot more, seven more episodes still this season. So um, there'll be plenty more Jon Snow. I wish it was 17 more episodes. <laughs> <laughs> so let's take a quick look at Sam and Gilly. That's, that's a, definitely a setup, little setup scene there. There's not a lot to take from that scene other than we kind of have an idea where they're going. We kind of already knew where they were going. We knew they were going to Old Town. But now apparently they're going to stop off in Horn Hill to see Sam's family. Which is kind of cool. We'll see that. I guess we'll get a little little dealio there. I don't know what we'll expect to see. That conversation should be interesting. Sam's father's a real hard ass. And we get to see that. I'm looking forward to seeing that Has scene. Has he been no on screen? We haven't seen him yet, have we? Sam's father? Yeah. No, we're about to, though. Maybe as soon as next episode. Maybe they'll push it off another episode. Not really sure what the timeline will be. There was a lot of things in this episode that where the characters in the episode were reflecting the, the wishes of us viewers. For example, Gilly saying, I want to see Old Town. It's the most beautiful city in the realm. I was like, yes, me too. I can't wait to see it either. 
There are several moments like that, such as Jamie saying, well, that's a trial by combat I'd pay to see, or whatever he's, however he worded it, like, same. So uh, I think that was great. And of course, in the Tower of Joy scene, Brand saying, no, I want to see more. I want to see more. Yeah, 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 we want to see more. <laughs> badly, badly want to see more. So I guess, did you have any thoughts on Sam and Gilly? I, I don't think they're, uh, personally, I didn't have a lot of takeaways there. It's good to see them again. It's good to see where they're going, but it's it's not a lot of, you know, there's not a lot of detective work to be done there. I, I uh, as the scene was playing out, I, I, jokingly, I said aloud when she was talking about her excitement, I was like, oh, by the way, I forgot to tell you, women aren't allowed. Yeah. And then Sam's like, oh, by the way, I forgot to tell you, women aren't allowed. I was like, oh. Yeah. <laughs> what is up with Sam just taking his woman to places where the women aren't allowed constantly? No, I'm just kidding. By of the course, way, that's out. That's, uh, he's, he's been ordered to go there. Oathbreaker. He uh, told her. He told her, wherever I go, you'll go. That's and, a good point. I didn't catch that one. Mm -hmm. Very good, very good. I, uh, I wonder on some level... Uh, it was another little moment I, I, that caught me in that scene, the look uh, Gilly gave him when she said, you know, that's what you said, you know, and she kind of walked off. I felt like on, on a certain level, she understood what he tried to explain afterwards. That, you know, it, the, sometimes the words you say are different from the meaning that you have. Does yeah. that make sense? Mm -hmm. He's trying to convey to her that he wants to protect her. Yeah. And what he says is, anywhere you go, I'll go. But what he means is, I'm going to try to protect you. And yeah, and he does explain that nicely. And sometimes it would be uh, the opposite of protecting her, to take her to certain places that he yeah. has to go. Like, what if he's going to go beyond the wall? There, but, right, you know, so... <laughs> like, uh, that's uh, not keeping you safe. And, and I think on some level, she understood that. I, I yeah, think she, she did come it. around she, to the idea. She's yeah. going to give him a hard time, and she's going to be disappointed, but I think she understands. Yeah, I do too. And it's interesting too, because one thing I wonder about is... They interestingly they showed the baby for once, and then we got to look at his blonde yeah, he looks a hair. Bit older. Yeah, a little bit finally a little <laughs> aging on that kid. Yeah. He looked blonde hair, and if Sam, they're gonna try to pass the kid off as as Sam's. And his, yeah. <laughs> the kid's hair color doesn't match either of theirs. I wonder if the father might be like, might that be a reason for him to doubt the story? I don't know if that could. They may not come up at all. But I just, is that what they're gonna me. do? Are they gonna are they gonna try to pass it off as their own? Yeah, that's what she said. She's like your kid, like. Remember that that's the idea. They're gonna otherwise okay, his family yeah. won't take care of them. Yeah. Like that's just like this is my blood. This is why you should take care of her and this kid, because he's mine. So that's, that seems that's, like that'll be hard to explain too. You can't wait, you're on the you're going to be a maester for the night's what? You've been on the night the vow, no kids, how's it's like that's he'll be like, That's why I can't take her. That's why you gotta watch yeah, over her because yeah. you know, and it's like he, he's betting banking on his father, even though his father is a hard ass. You know, bl blood loyalty is still huge in Westeros. Yeah. And if and if he believes that's his blood, his 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 half grandchild or his grandchild, it's still his grandchild. Then he'll, you know, that will, you know, affect his sense of duty. And his mother, no, will be yeah. probably more likely to believe it in the first place because what he said about his mother being a really sweet person, probably going to believe her son, whatever she says. She also might not care as much in the first place. She's right. not some hard ass, you know. So that's that's good place to leave that plot line for now, where we have a lot more setup there going. All right, well. Real quick, as usual, at the end of this episode, we will discuss after the credits things that are going to come up in the next episode based on the preview for episode four. They always have that at the end of the episode. Apparently, people in not everyone gets to see those. I've heard that people in the UK don't get to see the next stop. On, oh, they, really? Yeah, they don't even get that. So hmm. some people really, I've heard that some of our uh, listeners and watchers have written in and pointed out that they really appreciate us going through that stuff because they don't even know what it is. They don't even get access to that. So... We got you covered, folks. 
in the past, I would wait to watch it because I wanted to process my thoughts about where things were going before I had that clue that's where some, things are going. That's some good discipline there. Uh, well, I've lost my discipline. I just want to... <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I understand. I don't have that discipline either. <laughs> I'm eager to see that the next on. So, speaking of the next on, the previously on, which starts out the episode, I don't know if they get that in the UK or not. I assume they do in other places. It included a lot of talk of Rhaegar and Lyanna, which kind of set up the Tower of Joy scene here. And it also set up, it's also, basically the, the specifics are they showed the scene with Littlefinger and Sansa discussing Rhaegar and Sansa's claiming that Rhaegar kidnapped Lyanna and raped her, et cetera, et cetera. That's all very important. So that's pretty huge. Personally for me, as I said at the beginning of this episode, this scene was in a long, long, long time coming. One of the most anticipated scenes on the show of all time. Maybe not as anticipated for people who haven't read the book, so I'm not trying to be a book person here, but you know, personally for me, that was just a huge... Huge moment. I got butterflies. I, I felt kind of the way I did when I watched the first episode of season one. Again, after being a fan for 10 years, when that first episode hit, and I saw how good it was. I thought it was beautiful. The acting was great. I was like, when? This is, the scenery is amazing. I got a little choked up. I got it. I'll admit it. Same thing happened here. It was that same feeling of like, this is coming to life. This thing that I've known for so long. So nothing can replace that, even if the scene had been bad. And I don't think it was. I liked it. Opinions are pretty divided amongst book readers on it. But again... Hmm. This is not a show for book readers. I just wanted to, I just thought that'd be interesting to you, show folk, to hear that. And Sean, as a as as someone who has read book one, you don't have to include your book one thoughts, but as a show viewer, your perspective is still gonna be a little different or potentially a lot different. So that's hugely valuable here. So yeah. let us know. What did you what was your reaction to? I'm sure it was, you know, you didn't have that same intensity of of, of uh, expectation that I did, but I'm but still it was a big moment. Oh, for sure. Um I, uh, I I definitely liked it, and uh, I will say that I think that um, you and a lot of other people who have read the books, it's not just that you read the books. You've read the books over and over again. You've studied the books. You know, you've worshipped the books. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and, <laughs> Obsession uh, is a good term you, for it. You know <laughs> these scenes inside and out and have read all sorts of symbolism into them and connected them to the past and storylines and so on and so on. Uh, where... Uh, I, I think I am deeper into this than, than average, <laughs> but, <laughs> but still not as much as you. And uh, uh, But I, I, I like the scene. I, uh, some of the, I uh, feel like uh, it's worth rereading it. Like, just like I think it's worth rewatching episodes. There's so much detail mm -hmm. and thickness to it. I haven't reread book one, so I remember there was a scene where they talked about the Tower of Joy, but I don't remember all the details. I remember kind of piecing together, you know, what, what it might have meant about who Jon Snow was and some other clues that were being given. Um, as I was watching the show episode, I was, I was definitely kind of excited. I, I think it's, it's, one, it's kind of exciting uh, to see... They said this in the, uh, the, the post-show, you know, behind-the-scenes kind of thing. They talked about the idea that we get to see the truth of things, mm -hmm. right? Like through brand stories that are brand, told, yeah. things that people know, you know, about the past or history or characters, or whatever. We get to see the actuality of it, mm. and uh, and I and I like that. I, I I always kind of enjoy the idea that reality is different through different perspectives, you know. Yeah. And um, and so it, I think it's neat. I. I I have no complaint about a flashback. You know what I mean? The showmakers seem to not like it, and I don't know if among you know film snobs, I don't want to say that too negatively because I think I'm kind of a film snob too. But <laughs> but I've never had this kind of like uh, this taste for flashbacks. Hmm. Uh, so 
I will say that I thought when I was watching, there were some discrepancies from what I did remember about it. I thought it was three. I think in my mind it was three on five or three on seven. I couldn't remember what it was. It was three on seven, There's yeah. only two yeah. here, and how many? Five two or on six, six on the show. Yeah. Had to be a little bit different. I one thing I did sort of expect or remember was for Helen Reed to be there. Mm-hmm. Um, which, if I may, I'm going to go on a tangent for a second. I've had a thought over the past week, uh, which. I don't know if it's more or clear, more or less clear, or if I'm sticking more or less to it given this episode, but this is the thought that I had. Partly because I knew we had this flashback coming up. I knew that this scene was going to happen, right? Yeah. And we had the scene with Mira in the north, kind of like staring off into the distance, complaining about mm-hmm. they're not doing anything. Brand's like going through his training and his visions, and she's like, yeah, but what the hell am I doing here? I'm wasting my time. <laughs> and in my mind... They've given us a million clues about who Jon Snow really is. And I wonder, though, if I pick up on all these clues because I watch every episode three times and have 50 pages of notes, or if it's obvious to everyone. I wonder yeah, if more really casual viewers... Yeah. I've talked to a few of my friends who watch it a little more casually, and they, they'll say things like, you know, there's a theory that Jon Snow might actually be a Targaryen. And I'm like, that's ah, my... More than a theory. <laughs> I think it's more than a theory. Just, I'll give you some. Well, you want to talk about this? How much do you want to know? How deep do you want to get into this? And they're like, oh, yeah, you know. Uh, but it seems like a lot of people are at least casually aware of it. But I'm just convinced of it, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, and I feel like most book readers just know it to be true, you know. Yeah, um, there's. it's not, to be clear, there's no proof anywhere. But it is right. very strongly hinted at in the same way it's been hinted at strongly in the show. It's the same kind of thing. There's no confidence. There's no utter proof. Yeah. We may get utter proof. Like you said, Bran is seeing right. the real story, not yeah. rumors, not a retelling, not uh, what someone's version 20 years later. It's right. the actual vision. That's that's And that's what meaningful. I was supposing. Correct me if I'm wrong. The only person alive who knows. I think just like book readers can kind of, or show watchers, we can kind of piece it all together. I think Littlefinger has pieced it together. I don't think he, like, knows. I don't think he saw where anyone told him, but I think he knows. You know what I mean? Forrest probably knows. There's probably a few other people who who know, you know. Maybe not enough to say anything. Maybe they couldn't prove it. There's no point in saying anything. But I think that the only person who knows For is sure, Helen Reed. Helen Reed yeah. It's Helen Reed. The mm-hmm. only person who's alive and knows is Helen Reed, who we haven't seen at all. <laughs> However, we keep getting a reference. We're following his... His, we're following his kids, now we're following his daughter, and she feels like she has nothing to do in the world. <laughs> and Bran's about to find out the truth, and my theory is Bran is going to send her off to find her father so that he can let the truth be known. Hmm, interesting. He, that's, that's, that's what that's I kind cool. of foresee happening through... And Bran, would, and Bran would know for sure that it's true if he sees the actual vision, yeah. etc., and how he communicates to her, whether or not she believes him, what it means to her. I, I, I can, I'm still kind of stewing on this thought, but I just foresee that happening. I think Bran, they did make some comment about like, uh, Bran needs you by his side. I think the child of the forest told her that, but being by his side might be a metaphorical thing. You know what I mean? Like by his, uh, it's, is you know, the Raven guy by Bran's side when they're in this flashback observing what they're like standing next to each other or are they... You buy, you know, I don't, I, I, I'm just trying to think if that necessarily precludes my theory. It makes me kind of question it a little bit. Maybe Bran will go with Mirror to find Helen Reed. I don't know how quick that'll happen. I feel like his training's not going to be done after tomorrow. I feel like yeah. he's got a ways to go. But it's still my prediction about where things are going. That cool. it's going to be confirmed through Helen Reed who John really is. It makes it, it makes a lot of sense. We'll have to see if it plays out that way. It it it, it's, it might be difficult for even for Helen Reed to convince anyone that it's true, even though he yeah. knows it. You know, it's. Uh, 
it might be a hard, tough sell. But that's that's a, that's a topic for later. We don't even know if that's going to come up that way. So back to the actual scene. Pretty oh, yeah. cool. Arthur <laughs> Dane. And the other night was Sir Gerald Hightower. Found that out the best way possible. We weren't sure which night it was because, in the like we said in the book version, there's three nights and there's only two of them there. Uh, in, the, in the show version, they simplified a little bit, which I completely understand. I have no problem with that whatsoever. He is the, the reason we found out it was Sir Gerald Hightower is because some of us were discussing it on Twitter, whether it was you know comparing the different details about the who it might have been, the fact that Gerald Hightower was mentioned later in the episode by Picel was a bit of a clue. Plus, there's an episode in the episode Two Swords, which was a long time back, I think season two, maybe season three, when it's mentioned that Sir Gerald Hightower was killed at the Tower of Joy. So if they if that hadn't been him, it would have been continuity error. So that was my was like, I figured this has to be him. Not, it's not that the show hasn't had continuity errors before, but you don't assume something is a continuity error. So, and then while we're having this conversation, the actual actor who plays Sir Gerald Hightower tweeted at as well. My contract says that I was Sir Gerald Hightower. It's like, well, I guess that settles it. His <laughs> name is Eddie Eyre, E-Y-R-E. So thanks, Eddie, for, I'm sure you're not listening, but <laughs> thanks anyway for that. That really uh, sealed the deal there. So well, interestingly, a couple of the hidden details there that I thought were cool. One of the companions with Ned was clearly Dornish. She had the, like the Dornish turban thing that they give and the scene takes place in Dorne, which is important. Uh, so it makes sense that perhaps this was a guide of some kind. He was the, the guy taking them around, figuring out. And it's, is it, it's, I should, it, in case it's not clear to folks why Ned was there, I think it's pretty clear from the scene, but just in case there's a little confusion, the moment where he says, where's my sister? That's why they're there. He's looking for his sister. The war is over at this point. The Mad King is dead. Rhaegar is dead. Viserys fled across the narrow sea. But those Kingsguard are still guarding something, which probably pregnant Lyanna is the popular guest, the very popular guest, the overwhelmingly popular guest. And it's all tied together based on the previously on having that scene with Littlefinger and Sansa. That's why that's there, to remind us of what's going on. And having this all happen at the same time as John's coming back to life is, yeah, that's, that's not a coincidence. Or, that's not by accident, rather. So, all very cool. I, had, I, I did have some thoughts on it, by the way, because sure. I was trying to figure out the timing of how the, the rebellion was going. Yeah. Um, and I, because one of my thoughts was, if the king is dead and the prince is dead, uh, who are they loyal to at this point? You know, who are they committed to the old crown, to the Targaryens, or to the the seat of Westeros? The you know the to the Iron Throne. They're supposed and, to be loyal to the Targaryen royal family, and so that's why yeah. Ned was puzzled that they didn't go off to help Viserys. Right. Yeah. So who else <laughs> is in the royal family at this point? And now, like the theory is that this is Rhaegar and Lyanna are in love and had a child and so they've got to protect it you know this is the, the heir now this is the, the yeah. new prince that they he wouldn't be the, defend, he wouldn't but... be the lawful heir which is interesting because because oh, danny or viserys would be right well no so, no if uh it, well yes it would be viserys but if john was a trueborn son then he would be the heir because it's the sons of the first son come before the second son mm -hmm, okay. so that's so Aegon. Rhaegar's first son was murdered by Sir Gregor during the sack of King's Landing when right before Ares was killed. And so John would come after that if he was legitimized. 
which he's not, clearly not. In fact, he took Knight's watch vows and, and gave up his claim to everything. So it's all very, legally speaking, there's a lot of problems, but things don't have to work out by the way the law says. Robert wasn't lawful king. He took it. Yeah. He took the throne by force, which is anytime there's a you know, an unclear situation as to who the heir is, it pretty much is going to mean, the answer is going to be, well, they're going to fight over it. Yeah. <laughs> and the winner is going to be the... Also, these men might have their own sort of uh, codes or beliefs or agreements that were made beyond whatever the law might be. But yeah. the thing that was unusual to me, the thing I was pondering, is why do they feel the need to protect Liana from Ned? Like, what, are, what exactly are they doing here? Yeah. And the closest idea I could come up with is, like, well, they're going to kill the baby. Like, usually you kill the king, you kill the bloodline. And that's and, what already happened. And, the other kids, yeah, right, Rhaegar's other children were killed. It's already been happening. They have good but, reason to be worried about that. But are they worried that Ned, that Ned is going to kill his own sister's yeah, that's, child? That's, it's, it's weird that they would yeah. be worried about But they might be worried that Ned can't control it. Mm-hmm. Ned might, might not want to, and Robert or Tywin or someone will do it anyway. I don't know. It seems like they could have at least think, talked about it for a minute. But I think above all, each other to death, you know? maybe. But I think above all, none of that matters. They weren't considering the ramifications. The prince told them to do it, so they did. I think it's just that simple. He ordered them, yeah. and and they at least had enough honor that you know that that's why they did it. I, I think there there is good reasons why they maybe felt like it was the right choice. Like whether why it was like gave them more confidence in obeying the order. But ultimately, they were ordered to do it by the prince, and so they did it. I think that I think it. It makes Maybe me, the most important factor. It makes me wonder a little more, though. What did Ned think about this? Like, the party line is that Rhaegar kidnapped and raped her, right? That's mm-hmm. what Robert believed, and he hated Rhaegar for it, right? And that's what Sansa believes. Littlefinger seemed to know otherwise. He didn't get into it, but when she said that, he's like, ah, oh, come on, let's go talk about something else, you know? Yeah, like, yeah. Uh, what did Ned think? Did Ned think that Rhaegar kidnapped and raped his sister? We don't did, really know. Or does, you know, <laughs> I, I wonder if he... Uh, I'll say there's clues in the books, but there's not. And the show has not given us Ned's yeah. thoughts on it. I don't know if we'll. I don't know if we'll get that. Maybe we'll get that later. Yeah, yeah. Um, so here's a really huge part. I think this is something we're, really we're, that we should definitely address. Did Eddard hear Bran when he said "father" and oh, turned yeah, around? Yeah. That was huge, right? Did he hear him? I I think that he did. I think that he did. I do too. Uh, I think they were trying to be ambiguous, but made a point of that happening. Does that make sense? Yeah. They they can be ambiguous. By not showing that at all. By yeah. not, you know what I mean? But they, they made us, show that. They right? showed us through Ned's perspective. Right. It was like he turns around and there's nothing there. I mean, it, we, it's, it wasn't like, it was like, a, yeah. you know, actually getting the perspective of Ned. Yeah, that was the showmakers for a minute showed us Ned's perspective, not Brand's. So that was right? really big. And so it also, uh, the Blood Raven, is that what we're calling that character? Sure. Uh, it was quick to end it after that mm-hmm. happens. Like, all right, that's enough of this, you know. <laughs> and, uh, and it makes you, and so, so and this is why it's big. Because there's an implication, maybe, you can affect the past. We get the idea that maybe Bran, like, dwelling in these visions too long, he might get trapped there, which I can imagine might equate to he just goes into a coma, and he can no longer move to new visions or affect the real world. Um, but now it seems like maybe he can affect the past, you know? Yeah, that, now, who knows what'll happen. If, right. if they open that ball, ball of wax, that can of ball yeah. of wax? Open that ball of wax, it make any sense. <laughs> if they open that can of worms... Who knows what they can, they'll do? I mean, that's just like, sheesh, this is, the possibilities are unpredictable. So many possibilities. I, th- I feel like he, he, did, he, he did say, it's written, past is written, you can't Ink is dry, it. yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. So maybe he can, maybe he can, 
affect it in some way, but not enough to change what's going to happen. Does yeah. that make sense? Kind yeah. of, yeah, I don't know. The idea, if you go back in time and kill Christopher Columbus, oh, I guess no one's going to discover America. No, no, the Europeans <laughs> are coming, America, and they're going to yeah. bring colonization and everything with it. It yeah. doesn't have to be Christopher Columbus. That only know? changes the timeline slightly, yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's different than someone, like, inventing something. Like, maybe this invention wouldn't have happened for 100 years or ever, you know. Like, that's a different yeah. sort of thing. And ideas are different than something, a large landmass. It's clearly going to be found eventually. Yeah. And, of course, there's already people living there. Like, let's not forget. So, it does make you wonder, though, because there are certain things I feel like. There are certain, you know... Joffrey's still going to be a little shit. <laughs> Robert's still going to be a bad husband. Uh, it's, yeah. Ned is still going to be honorable. Certain things are going to still go down the same way, which That's are true. probably still going to lead to other certain things. But it does make you wonder, you know, what, what, how, what if things had gone differently? You know, how different would it have been if, if, uh, if Ned hadn't killed... Or yeah. the Dane there, if, yeah. if, the, if it was known who John was. I don't know. Okay, that's a great segue, because speaking of Ned killing Arthur Dane, that's one of the main points of this scene. Not Ned killing Arthur Dane, but this scene is as much about the talk, revealing Jon Snow's backstory and revealing Eddard's backstory and what the deal with Lyanna is and all what is going on in general. It's also very much about Bran and Bran losing his illusions. He's, he's fine. This is just a start for him. He's seeing all this truth, all this past... All these things, like you said, that you pointed out very astutely, that he's seeing the real version of. And he's finding out his father, you know, that wasn't, it wasn't this glorious defeat of Sir Arthur in single combat. He was stabbed in the back, or the back of the neck, same difference, I guess. And then finished him off as he was dying, which is, you know, he's putting him out of his misery. Like, Arthur was going to die. There's no reason to, like, let him bleed out there. Um, nothing dishonorable about that. But it's still, like, Bran's like, this is, I believe this. Bran, you got a lot more coming, mm -hmm. I gotta say. You're gonna find out a lot of other things that weren't what you thought they were, and we probably will too. <laughs> so I think that's just building up for Bran. The things he, he's gonna just learn some really hard truths, perhaps relating to what's inside the tower as well, which we'll have to wait and see on. But very, very exciting stuff. I'm really, really liking that they're going there. Back in season two, and after Eddard is dead, we all thought, how are they ever going to address the Tower of... How are they going to do that? Is it going to be brand flashbacks, maybe? Sure enough, that's what it was. But it didn't, uh, didn't occur to me how your point, again, I'm bringing it back up again, about how different it is when it's the real tr version of the truth. Because in the books, like we said, it's, it's, it's Ned's memories. And yeah. Ned's memories are... There's reasons to doubt some of his memories based on his own mental state at the time. He's a little drugged up and, and it's a fever. He's got a fever. So, by the way, for, for any of you who are book readers uh, that are watching this show anyway, I know a lot of you are, Ned Chapter 10, Game of Thrones Chapter 40. That's the scene. If you want a quick reference, there it is. That's how you find it. Even if you're not a, a book reader. Maybe yeah, you can just go right to it. Scene, yeah. <laughs> Good point. Okay, so let us move on to... Well, do you have any more on that? It's such an important scene. I don't want to move past it without making sure everything hasn't been said. Uh, the, the one other thought I had was, uh, as I was watching it, trying to identify who the other men with Ned were, and I, in my mind I was trying to relate that to the book, but I couldn't even really remember if they named who was with them in a book, much less who, who they were. Other they than did Alan name Reed. them in the books, um, yeah, but it doesn't seem... I took a long look because I, I froze, I freeze-framed it on the scene when you could see all of them. And Howland had a little uh, lizard lion 
brooch, which indicated yeah, yeah. who he was, but no one else had any sort yeah. of distinguishing marks. That is what at I was going to ask you. I couldn't identify. Yeah. I couldn't see anything in there identifying who they were. And I, I know you yeah. looked at him more closely and would know better than me, so you couldn't see I didn't anything. Find in there. I, that's the only reason. That's kind of why I noticed the Dornish guy. Although I kind of noticed him as well. He was the, like I think I said it already. He was the last one killed um, before Ned had the one on one. I will say one other thing, by the way. Sure. Because I want to give credit where it's due. I usually complain about action scenes and fight scenes. Oh, yeah, scenes. yeah. And we specifically should. when there's like five guys fighting one guy and they all charge in one at a time style. This scene was done pretty well. They were like, yeah. I, I, I even like went back and watched again and thought about some stuff. Like even the idea of like getting behind someone. If you think about how Arthur Dan was fighting or how most people would fight when they're outnumbered, you're, you're backpedaling. Yeah. You're backpedaling, you know? And it's hard for someone to get around you when you're backpedaling. They have to get around the person next to you faster than you're backpedaling, and you see that happening, and so you shift in the angle that they're going to the side that they're going. I thought it was pretty realistically done. Yeah, it was. And if I understand right, that was an actual swordsman. That yeah. guy there was an actual uh, Real expert. Uh, in, in fact, we, we also found out that the young Ned learned his sword fighting from the actor. From they had guy, him yeah. not only as as an actor and in that role, but as a consultant for sword fighting. Okay, yeah. So, yeah, yeah real life expert swordsman. And there was a, a moment when, uh, you know, he's there's one guy on either side. He's kind of like fending off with yeah. his two swords. It and was the third cool. guy's like trying to get into the middle, but some combination can't take swings from his partners and can't keep moving forward fast enough. And, it's it's uh, it was a I think, realistic presentation of multi combat. I felt you know, and I think there's also some legitimate fear of the guy. They're all a little oh, afraid yeah, of him. Yeah. They all like like Bran recognized who he was. He's like that's Sir Arthur Dane, you know, yeah. and, and he's like he's better than my father, far better, far better you know. Yeah. And so like all those other guys knew that too. <laughs> yeah, and they're all like, well, we're doing what we got to do, but uh, they had to be a little bit afraid, I think, or at least intimidated. Maybe not. Well, some difference, I suppose, in this case. So, pretty huge. I think uh, we'll have, for people who watch both of our episodes per week, we're going to have more thoughts on some of the details from the book, of course, things that people would want to talk about there. So, if, if you're looking for that, we'll get to that on Wednesday. Check us out then. But for now, it is time to move on to Marine. Interestingly, you know, some of these other plot lines kind of almost got swallowed up by the, the power of some of the other ones. They're just so big and they loom larger for now. But this one's important. So we definitely need to talk about it. We won't be saying as much about it, of course, but it's there's a lot going on here at the same time, and there's still a lot of confusion. Varus's spies really seem to get going. Um, to me, this is a, maybe a little bit unrealistic that they could he could be so well networked so quickly. But I mean, he's supposed to be really good at this sort of thing, and there was some indication that he already had some sort of some, network out there. Some groundwork ahead of time. laid down. Yeah. yeah. So they at least set that up. Maybe it's still a little unrealistic, but they at least addressed that. They tried to do some things to, to work that out. Well, I appreciate that. But, so what we get, the big important reveal of Yunkai, Astapor, and Volantis are bankrolling the Sons of the Harpy, which explains a lot. That's some serious money rolling in. You got slaver cities bankrolling this role. You know those guys have tons of money. So that kind of under, that kind of makes it, makes, it, uh, makes more sense as to why the Sons of the Harpy are so numerous. Some of them are probably just paid. Yeah. They don't they don't and have any sort of loyalty to one cause or the other. They're getting paid and, and so they're doing it. From the other city, they could be, you know, people came from the other city to join this Absolutely. cause or whatever. Uh, people recruited and paid and armed and so on, you know. So uh it is uh I I I thought the scene between uh what they they gave that woman a name. What was her name? Do you remember? Uh, um Val Vala. 
Valet. Valet. Yeah, yeah, thank you. Uh, I and thought Sun that, Dom. Yeah. <laughs> that conversation between them was pretty good. I, yeah. I think Forrest does a good job of like being meek and menacing at the same time. You yeah. Know? So, and he made her an offer she couldn't refuse. It's like, look, normally yeah. you'd be dead, right? And as you said yourself, no matter what you do here, like if you tell us, they're going to kill you. If you don't tell us, we're going to kill you. He's like, no, it doesn't have to be that way. I'll take care of you. And it's it's great. I love that. It's like, yes, that's how you get the result you want. You don't yeah. just resort to violence. You don't just resort to threats. Do what it takes to, to do the right thing. And Varus and there's like, well, we get the best result by letting her go. Yeah, it's unjust. Yeah, she deserves to die. But I don't care about her. I don't care about her life. I care about winning. I care about the big, yeah, picture. big picture. I'm caring yeah. about all the sons of the harpy, not this one. If we have to let one go to take out the rest... That's yeah. a fine price to pay. And a bag of silver to boot? No big deal. The intelligence right? they get from her is more valuable than the revenge on her. Yeah. Varus is, Varus is a smooth operator. He sees the big picture. He keeps his eyes focused on the big picture. I appreciate that. It's an important person to have on, 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 on Team Danny, uh, presuming that his loyalty is, is, is 100% hers, which so far I've seen no reason to doubt that. So that's all good. What, what were your thoughts on that? You, you like the, the negotiation between them there. What about the, the scene with Tyrion and Missandei and Grey Worm? That's, uh, I'm not really sure what was going on there. There was, uh, it was interesting, but I, I'm having trouble digging deep into that scene and coming up with any big conclusions. I don't necessarily come up with any big conclusions, but this is, but I loved it. I love that scene. And I'll tell you, it's the type of scene I want more of. It reminds us that these people are real humans that have to, wake up in the morning and put their pants on and eat food and go to the bathroom and stub their toe and they're like have awkward conversations they're like waiting what do you want to talk about <laughs> i don't know what do you want to talk about i don't know anything about each other and they're trying to relate and it's kind of awkward and we get to see that and i want more of that more often it was a little negative thought i had earlier at the wall with john i feel like the things he was saying to davos again it's a little more justifiable because of the awkward nature of what's going on with john at that moment sure but i feel like he's giving sound bites. Does that make sense? I feel like he's just making these statements and proclamations that aren't really connected to a conversation with another human being. He's just saying the stuff that uh, expresses his emotions or the, the what the audience should be construing from the scene or whatever, rather than a natural conversation. And you didn't construe some plot progression from that scene with Tyrion because it was just a conversation people were having, you know what I mean? <laughs> and, I, and I like that, and I want more of that. I, I, I don't want every scene to be some pretentious, some pretentious, contrived statement about where the plot's going now. I want real conversations with yeah. real people who are living real lives. It, it's a good balance, too, because like we've talked, even from a non-book reader perspective, some of these plots seem like they might be a little rushed, and that is not yeah. rushed. That was a yeah. nice, it slowed took, things down a bit. Time. It also so gives them a cool. chance to, to, to have some acting and some, yeah. some comedy and so on. And, and I wish they did it more. I, I feel like every episode this season has been 52 or 54 minutes. And, man, I wish they would give each <laughs> little segment one extra minute and make it an hour and two minutes and give us that flesh the characters out like they did there with Tyrion and Sunday with all the other characters. You yeah. know? I, yeah, I wish yeah. the, the relationship between Ed and John would be more meaningful if they had more just conversations with each other right you know and so on you know and i think another part takeaway from the scene is just how how different the backgrounds of the people talking are right Sunday and gray worm like every time Tyrion brought something up they misunderstood what he meant by it. he's like yeah. oh games and misandre just thought of the game she was forced to play as a slave and gray worm is like i don't drink you know i don't i don't yeah. understand like this is I've, I've been a slave soldier my whole life i don't this doesn't make sense to me. This doesn't compute. I don't... What are you talking about, man? And Tyrion's like... What is this... I'm just trying to get to know you guys, you know? What is this 
fun you speak yeah. of. Yeah, what is this conversation <laughs> you speak of? Yeah, what do you mean? Yeah. You know? It does, I, I suppose it does do something beyond just be conversation. It does develop the characters a little bit, yeah. show you the difference in the counsel that Danny has and people on her side trying to help her, and maybe alludes to how Tyrion needs to grow up. Yeah. You know, maybe like, it's a little bit of like Tyrion needs to like straighten himself up a little bit, stop playing games of drinking and get with the real, the, the serious people. Be yeah. more serious, Tyrion. Why really so good, serious, Tyrion? That's a, <laughs> that's a really good point because that the whole thing about him drinking is coming up a lot about how they're just like frowning at him for drinking. Yeah. Varus is like, come on, dude. And he's just drinking again and they're like, we're not going to play drinking games with you. You know, yeah, that's, this is a common theme. It's coming hey, up a lot. It's uh, That yeah. drunk courage got him down there with the dragons, man. Just saying. <laughs> Good point, good point. <laughs> yeah, and that's a good point as well. No no further movement on that. We don't know. The dragons are just yeah. wandering around their little cave for now. We haven't gotten any more uh, movement on that yet. We'll see what happens. Maybe that'll be, oh, you know, maybe that, I didn't get this. Maybe that'll be steps along the quest. I don't know if it's going to happen, uh, you know, in three episodes or next season, but Danny's going to go conquer those other surrounding cities before she goes to Westeros. Yeah, all right. All right, we'll take a quick ad break and come back to talk about Danny and Vase Dothrak and what we saw there. Then we'll move on to Bravo's King's Landing and all the other topics we haven't gotten to yet. Okay, Vase Dothrak. We have a, apparently the meeting of the Kalasars is about to happen. The Kalar Vesvin, or however you say that. All the Kalasars. That's kind of convenient, isn't it? <laughs> uh, real quick, tell me again, what's the name of this uh, the- location? It's Vase Dothrak, and the Dosh Kaleen okay. is the the place where all the, the Khaleesi widows go. The Dosh Kaleen is... That's what she was presented to. She was presented to the Dosh Kaleen when they stripped they're, her. They're, and... they're like a council, not a place. The place right. of Vos Dothrak, Dosh Dothrak Kaleen is, is the horse lord organization. City. Yes, that's right. Okay, uh, so... Um, yeah, I wonder, by the way... Uh, I didn't mean to cut your preface off, but I, I, mm-hmm. I, I, a, a thought's been stirring in me, like a way things might go... I wonder if instead she's she's showing up there in trouble. I wonder if by the end of this she'll be taking charge. She'll have the, she'll have all the calls behind her. You know what I mean? I wonder if that's a potential here. I think it is a very strong potential, and you know I've, we've talked in a couple of reasons. The Dothraki respect strength. They're not big on following women. In fact, they're small on following <laughs> women. Very small, tiny on following women. But they respect strength, and I, and and that could be what wins out here, despite the fact that they are you know a, a, a sexist martial culture strength beats all and if and the culture respects riding horses mastery of horse riding I was like well this she's got a nuclear horse basically <laughs> and uh, if if that if she's able to just dominate them using her super horse then yeah they might just fall in line with her because she's so powerful and that's their culture they follow the strong Kalasar. calls don't pass their colossar onto their children as as a normal thing. It happens sometimes, but it's not like when 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 Khal Drogo died, they weren't going to follow a baby. If he had a, a strong teenage son who was you know took over and was like, I'm going to take over. I'm going to be strong. A lot of people would have followed him, and it may, maybe even the majority. But it wasn't because specifically just be, just because he's the eldest male heir of Khal Drogo. It doesn't work that way. It, it, it might give the the heir may have advantages that make them most likely to take over, but it's not default. It's right. Not Big difference from Westeros, so that's a huge distinction here. So what Danny can just potentially just take over through strength. And the fact that all the Kalasars are there, yeah, that's kind of... The, the dragon shows up and she can control it. <laughs> that's a Yeah, I think that might be where we're heading, because I don't... Does anyone 
out there really think that Danny's just going to die during all this. That's <laughs> one thing about this. It's, it's a little weak to me. I like it. I like it a lot, to be very clear. But there isn't much tension as far as her life. <laughs> right, right. She's getting through this. I'm, yeah, not I, only I'm dead not, heavily on it. <laughs> not only is she not going to die, but this isn't going to be the end of her story. Oh, I guess you'll just be on his council in his yeah. town now. <laughs> and now let's go back to... Check in on her every go once back in a while. John. She's yeah. still with the Dosh Colleen, just yeah. sitting there being a widow. Yeah, yeah. That's not it's going to move on right. from here. So yeah. it's just a matter of whether or not it happens in two episodes or two seasons or whatever. They're running out of time, but, but you know, I, I remember in the past wondering about Danny when, you know, different confrontations were coming i've said this before in prior episodes specifically the one where the guy the guy came to visit her and he brought the gold and the dragons were like yelling it was the same episode where they kind of contrasted him like walking through these rows and rows of unsullied you know, to approach the the leader the king the you know yeah. where we get the scene where tywin is approaching joffrey and he just walks in walks up the stairs looks <laughs> down at him joffrey's <laughs> like the difference in control that yeah danny has versus joffrey but Anyway, I, I remember wondering, I wonder if Daniel will defeat that city uh, next episode or if it'll take three or four episodes. There's no question in my mind she's going to have success. It's just yeah. how long it takes. And so now, there's only so many more episodes in a season. It can't take too long. So it makes me wonder, like, well, it's not enough time to conquer three whole cities. <laughs> I guess Dario did it with a line of dialogue. Like, all right, we <laughs> conquered the city and captured our fleet. I'm like, oh, all right, they can do it in one line. They can do it in one episode. Uh, <laughs> that's, what they, that's kind of how they dealt with Dorne, as we'll discuss later. Uh, yeah. So far, that's how they've dealt with Dorne anyway. So I, I wonder, though, if she'll unite all the calls to go conquer these slave cities. That's possible. Seize the navies. <laughs> dragons under her control with Tyrion's help. That would nicely tie up all these problems she has, for yeah. sure. And, yeah, and it's, it's, it's another thing. That even though we know kind of the fact that, she, that her life is in danger, it doesn't mean it isn't really fun or interesting. It's, that how is still interesting, even though yeah. we know that she's not going to die. The removal of the tension is a negative, but it doesn't, you know, make it not fun or bad. It's just, you know, that's just a factor that's not a plus. She could get her hand chopped off. Sure. <laughs> Things could happen in her <laughs> death. Jora could die. I think that's where tension's going to come or from. Or Dario, yeah. And that's, yeah, those guys are coming to rescue her, and they're facing all oh, these Kalisars. I mean, geez, they're walking into danger. Yeah. That's, uh, that's a rough place to be. So we'll just have to wait and see. That, this plot line is still just really just getting going, I think, at this point. And, and the, the, big, the big reveals, the big movement are still to come. We'll have to see what happens. I did appreciate the level-headedness of the lead Dosh Colleen woman there, whatever to call her. Yeah, yeah. And just told her, look, you broke our lo sacred laws. They're going to have to deal with you. You know, I don't, I'm not saying they're going to kill you, but... It's up in the air right now. And she wasn't really threatening. It was just like, this is how it is. This is a matter, as a matter of fact. It was like, this is what happens. I also appreciated her perspective. And, and Danny, oh, well, Danny absorbs it. I don't know. She, Danny might still be a little uh, stubborn and arrogant. But, but <laughs> you know, like. <laughs> she, the number of times she rattles off her titles and people just roll their <laughs> eyes at her is, 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 yeah, is a, yeah. it's, it's, it's a large number. <laughs> It's like how uh, Spaceballs made fun of all like the ships in the sci-fi movies. With, like the ship just keeps coming and going. <laughs> Someone's gonna make some, you know, yeah. another dragon movie or whatever scary movie kind of thing about Game of Thrones, where the, <laughs> the title of the character is just gonna go on for like three paragraphs. <laughs> but uh, but I like that the woman, you know, tells Daniel like, look, you're not you're not the first person that thought you're gonna conquer the world, you know, like yeah, that was cool. Yeah, uh, that was a nice touch. Yeah. Uh, open your eyes a little bit. You know, yeah. Got to be in this moment with me for a minute. I, I know where you're at. Try to think about where I'm at. <laughs> we'll get through this, little girl. 
Okay, so again, that's that plot line's still pretty early in the game, so let's move on and talk about another plot line that's still kind of early in the game, but we had a bit more movement on, a bit more of interest, and that's Bravos. Talking about Arya, of course, a little more detail to how she is managing her blindness. And actually, you know, a little little uh, backstory, not backstory, but something I want to add to this is I looked back at episode two, and I thought it was really interesting. There's a little detail that I didn't notice before is that the waif, every time she moved out of her way when she was blind, she's looking around, she would say something to like give Arya the chance to know where she was, like using echolocation, saying, okay, that's where you are. She was very careful. Every time she moved, she said, who are you? It's like... You wouldn't say that. You know, like this L line, she'd move and say something, move and say something, which which shows to me that it is just very straight part of the training. It's part of this this plan they're following to bring her along and to train her. And I thought that was a nice detail, nice touch that they're doing. And then it was more of that this time. Except there was there was they were showing other things using her sense of smell. She was rather than sticking her face in this poison and sniffing it, which would be like, okay, well you yeah. can't do that. She's wafting nice little nice touches there well done showing of how a sightless person is going to go about learning to use their other senses which is the point of course she's honing her other senses by not having the one that everyone relies on the most it was a borderline montage by the way yeah which montages i do know film slobs films film slobs <laughs> film slobs <laughs> film snobs don't like montages they are often you know cheats Poor filmmaking, an excuse, a quick way to get through something. You know, they're they're mocked oftentimes. And this is the kind of thing uh, they use on a lot: is the right. training, the coming along of right. someone's progress. And yeah. I, I think they they can be done okay. I, I'm not inherently against montages. I think that they're I'm going to even say an important tool of filmmaking. You know, <clears throat> maybe they can be overused or done poorly, whatever. But I don't think that was the case here. I thought they did a really good job here. Um, and a little subtle thing that I noticed, I. I, I caught my mind even wandering on the thought a little bit i felt like the wave was like frustrated with Arya's success i don't know if you noticed that but yeah it's been a kind, kind of, of an overarching thing that it's well, gonna be hard to be yeah. hard to you know clearly in the beginning she was against Arya, you know but she seems to be following jacob's instruction and i feel like uh she may be and jake's like all right so go go teach her how to fight when she's blind i feel like the was like hey <laughs> <laughs> yeah, beat the beat crap out of her. <laughs> but now as Ari is learning and dodging and blocking and and uh, holding her own, it seemed like the way from, like had a couple of moments of frustration, mm -hmm. subtle little acting on her part, I thought. But I enough that I, I caught it and wondered about it, and uh, it even made me think a little bit more. I recognized in myself that I was surprised by. It. I was surprised at which she would be frustrated by this. And that made me wonder why would she, why would I be surprised by this? And I two different thoughts that I had. One was that I felt like that she should be more stoic in the first place. Hmm. And then it made me wonder why do I feel that way? Are the faceless men stoic? I guess Jake is he's pretty stoic. Is it part of their religion? What's making me have this assumption <laughs> about their their personalities? You know, they would be stoic. Um, uh, and secondly, it made me think. Uh, that uh, you know she's frustrated with the success. She thought that mm. Arya wouldn't succeed, mm -hmm. and then she would just beat her up, and she wouldn't get there. And now she is getting there, and maybe she's just frustrated with you know something happening that she didn't expect. Maybe she thinks Arya doesn't deserve it. I wonder maybe on some level if Arya is taking over her role. If she's mm. Jenkins' number two guy, and now there's this new girl, and she'll be the number two or gal number two. You know, I wonder if there's yeah. any jealousy or you know. Uh, I, I don't know how deep that will go, but it, it, I was just impressed at what a subtle, quick facial expression 
how deep my train of thought could go on that, you know. That's cool. Now, a big part of this this semi-montage, <laughs> we'll call it, mm -hmm. was the Waif questioning her about how Arya feels about things. It's like a test to see if she can speak to them while still being no one. I thought that was kind of interesting. It was yeah. like a dichotomy of her. They're dredging her. They're trying to, they're bringing back who she's, she's supposed to be becoming no one and not being Arya, but they're still asking her Arya questions to kind of see where she's at with that. Like, are you really, are you still Arya or are you no one? And she gets away with it. She lies about Marin Trent and seems to, there doesn't seem to be any penalty for that. She, she, it's like they're, it's like it's, they're teaching her how to lie well and she's using it against them. What lie did she say about Marin Trent? She said, isn't there anyone else on your, on your list? And she does not admit that Marin was on it. Remember, that was what got, part of what got her punished, was killing Marin. Yeah, and she yeah. refuses to admit to them that Marin was on her list. Marin was on her again. list. Yeah. Did, well, were they asking her... They said, uh, who was on your list? And she said, Cersei. Yeah. Who is on the list? No, who was? She, who was? He was hmm. like, Cersei. She's a Cersei, the Mountain, and Lord Walder. Lord Walder Frey. Yeah. And she's like, who else was on your list? You I know, suppose it, like, it might short. be... Like, I wonder if... Because she didn't say Ellen Payne either. Well, she'd already... She'd Jack, she'd already cut him from the list before season five. Or at the beginning of season five. Yeah. Remember, we talked about that at length. She reduced it to four names. Yeah. And one of those names was Mary Trant. And now there's just the other three. And the mountain's kind of already dead. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so there's really just the two. And I don't see her getting close to Cersei anytime soon, partly because of the mountain. But mostly because that's, you know, I mean, she's, who, who, it, it would take a lot for Arya to be in a position to kill Cersei. I'll know? have to think about this more. I kind of want to watch the scene again because I can't decide. Because I, I remember, I, a thought I've had many times is exactly what... Jake and knows. Sometimes it's I can't tell if he's like reading her facial expression, or if he got word back from the other, from you know Westeros, or if he has some divine ability. Mm. And in in those different cases, I'll interpret this in different ways because it could be that uh, what Arya's list is in her own mind could be different. Mm. Does that make sense? And she yeah. might name some people in a rash, heated moment. But they're not really part of her list. You know what I'm saying? Mm. Uh, almost in a way, Sam talking to Gilly. He's like, I don't care about them. Well, <laughs> I do. But I don't. I care mm. about you. You know, there's a... Hmm. Even you don't always exactly know what you think. Does yeah. that make sense? Yeah, you don't know your own so, subconscious sometimes. Right. Yeah. Which and, I think on some level, you know, I think it was in last season when Arya, when Jake asked Arya about... He's asking her questions, and she he said something about the mountain. She's like, "I hate him," and he hit her as though she was lying. Yeah, I think on some or level, the hound, the hound, not the mountain. The hound, sorry, yeah. yeah. She did mean it. She did hate him, but also I think she did also not hate. Him. She did yeah. care. A love and hate she, relationship. She did even <laughs> say that here too. She mm -hmm. said, "I can't remember how she worded, but she said a girl is mixed or a girl is confused or something like yeah. that." Yeah, you know, that's so, right. Yeah. So I, she at I, first, that's what happens is she says. You know, the hound, was the hound on your list? Or is the hound on your list? And she says, yes. And, and then smack. He's like, okay, he was on my list. I took him off. Right. Like, yeah. Right. So that was really cool. Yeah, that was really well done. So on one hand, saying the fact that they smacked her for that does indicate that we're asking about what was, which would include Marin Trent. Mm -hmm. um, and then it, she refuses to admit it. Remember, she says, what yeah. name would you like a girl to speak? That's how she gets, that's how she kind of throws it back at her face. She's like, yeah. no, there's no one else. I was like, are you sure? It's like, what name would you like a girl to speak? Like, who are you talking about? You know, like, yeah. you say the name. <laughs> yeah. Which was kind of cool. And that's part of what she, that's like a part of the montage. She's learning. She's learning how to respond to these questions and to make the lie believable, which is really interesting. To and skirt it's, around the truth, to avoid giving a direct answer or being pinned into something. Yeah. And, it, and, you, and I don't I, know whether 
that's what they want her to do, whether they want her to lie effectively or if she's using their own training against yeah. them. And I, I'm not sure where, where, where the middle yeah, ground I, is there. I still haven't decided if she was lying when she did an Aaron train. That, that's where I'm at, right? You might be right. I just didn't even think about it. Okay, cool. Uh, and now I'm thinking about it. And, and I, um, I feel like I'm like playing devil's cat. I'm like on the defensive side. Like, no, she wasn't lying. There's all these reasons I can think <laughs> of. It, you know? But maybe she was. Maybe she's getting away with lying. And, and furthermore, let's say she's getting away with lying. Is she doing a good enough job at lying that they're not hitting her, even though they know that it's a lie? Yeah. Or do they not know that she's lying? You see what I'm saying? It's, like, do yeah. they really have some sort of divine ability to know the truth, which it seems like sometimes. It's, yeah, they're so good at it. You're yeah. like, geez, how do they tell? I mean, even in the littlest, the slightest lie, when she says... Arya had four brothers. Whack! Back. Three yeah. brothers and one half-brother. Yeah, like, like yeah. what? That's still a brother. You know, yeah. like, that's really close to the truth, and they still got her on that. And so, again, and that's a good example, too, by the way, of what makes me wonder, do they just know, it's just known in the world that Ned Stark had three sons and a half-brother. Uh, but, by the way, do they even know that? It, how much <laughs> of it is the truth versus what she thinks is the truth? Because let's just say they have divine knowledge of the truth. They would know that John's not actually Ned's brother. But Arya wouldn't. But she would know he's a half brother. You know, she wouldn't be lying. It would be still lying. be her relative. Right. Yeah, so, it's still you know, her relative. Yeah. That, that really, you see what it may how my mind starts cousin. stirring on what is true. Yeah. And what people know is true. And what they might know is true. And what they would say truthfully even though it wasn't. Versus what they would lie about. And what does Jaken actually know is true? Yeah. Or is he interpreting or detecting as a lie? You know, so, I don't know. So moving on with the, with the last part of this scene... Is Arya has to take a bit of a leap of faith here, and this is interesting. She has to drink from the fountain, the pool that kills yeah, people. Yeah. And on one hand, you're like, she really got to drink from that? Like, damn. But on the other hand, are they really just going to go through all that training just to kill her? Yeah. I mean, I mean yeah. there are some there are a weird death cult of sorts. So I guess it's possible, but still, that would be weird. So I guess it's you know maybe maybe that's what convinced her. It's okay, I'll drink this. <laughs> but that was like, the moment where I was questioning her. The truthfulness of her training. Yeah, maybe sense? they're like, okay, you liar, we're going to kill you off. You keep lying to us about... <laughs> well, it was more that I, in my mind, I felt like, okay, they're, Jenkins asking her to drink what she knows is poison. And so, and, but in my mind, I thought exactly what you said. I, like, if I'm trying to put myself in Ari, she's like, after all this, now he's going to poison me randomly? Like, give me the option to drink it or not? Like, that can't be what this is all about. I must be safe. I must be safe to drink this. Which that sort of logical uh, deduction of the scenario is a little different from true faith. Does that make sense? Yeah. And so I wonder how much this is his attempt to test her true faith, but Arya, not the girl, Arya is still going through her mind thinking, okay, mm. I'll take my chances to drink this because I think it's not likely he's poisoning me. Yeah. How much of that, you know what I mean? Yeah, her, th your, her thought process has is, is got to be, you know, we have to take that into account. Like, our thought process is so much different as, as watchers rather than, like, with this character who's confronted with the situation. It's got to be a lot more, well, she can't just sit back and think about it the way we did, that's for sure. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Okay, let's move on. We've still got lots to talk about. We have King's Landing. A lot of different things happen in King's Landing. A lot of implications, a lot of plot movement in some ways, and a lot of setup. Probably more setup than plot movement, but big in both regards. Start with Kyburn and the Little Birds. This is very interesting and very creepy at the same time. Will we have... This was a very nuanced scene here. There's a couple of interesting little tidbits that I got from this that I'm, I discussed with some other people, and a couple, several people I discussed this with didn't catch this, this, this little bit. 
So I'm wondering if you did. I'm wondering if you guys out there listening and watching did as well. And that's this. The first kid he's speaking to, he asks, like, your eye looks better. How's your mother's jaw? It's better. He's like, talking about, it's, the, the implication is an abusive father who beats them both. And then he says, well, that won't be a problem anymore. And he's like, will he be coming back? And he's like, no. You know, he's not, that won't be a problem anymore. And to me, I think he's talking about that murder in the first step or in the second episode we, okay. where the, the head yeah, smash. Yeah. I think I, that I, was the father. I had the same thought. Awesome. I'm glad in you fact, agreed. Yeah. I had a few conversations with people about, because uh, you remember how I was supposing that Cersei might have turned over a new leaf, calmed her tempers. Yeah. That she's not necessarily out for revenge. May, I, I consider that maybe she is and she's just calmed her surface. Right, but I also have considered that she might have actually gone through a change as a person between the ordeal that she went through and her belief that this prophecy is coming true. Prophecy's she can't thing, do anything think, yeah. about her son dying, and she might have just kind of accepted things more so, and she doesn't get all riled up. Um, and so, there were people like that were thinking that she told Gregor to go kill that guy. Yeah, that's and, that's what I first thought. Right now, I don't and, think uh, that anymore. And uh, the, I, I think I might have talked about it with you some, and I talked about it with some people at work. And the, the more I thought about it, I, I just didn't, I just don't see it. I, how does she know who that guy is? What instruction exactly does she give Gregor? Hey, Gregor, I, there's kill a guy in the street guy. talking about me. Yeah. Go kill him. Like, <laughs> how does she even know that guy is talking about her? Maybe she gives, like, some vague order. Like, if you hear anyone on the street talking about me, kill that guy. But, but Kyburn learning that makes sense because he's got these whispers. Right. Especially uh, if that's, so, that's the own the, the actual son of this guy was killed, right. he would know very. And Kyburn is and Cersei are closest, probably. She's Cersei's well, he's his closest her, ally, yeah. and he's Cersei's. And you could say the same about the the mountain. You could see the three of them are going to be a pod. Maybe throw Jamie in the mix, you know. So it makes sense. To makes more sense to me that Kyburn's using the mountain for this more so than Cersei. Now it doesn't yes. mean Cersei has turned over a new leaf. But it's. I was already on this thought of wondering why the mountain did that. Did Cersei order it? I don't. Well, that's not right. where I'm thinking things are going. And now when we see this, it makes it. I feel more confident. I think you were. I think yeah. You must. You, you clearly nailed it. I, I I had the wrong idea, and this this clears it up. Now, it, in general, though, this method of doing these favors for these little kids to win their loyalty is just super super creepy. Yeah, yeah. And but it's also probably along the lines of what Varys is doing. Varys, he says, well, that's one of the kids asked, "Well, Lord Varys comes yeah, back." Yeah, almost like, certainly. He's what like, Varys is doing. I don't think so. He, and and and, and Kyburn's like, I don't think he's coming back. And he's like, well, Varys gave us treats, and he's like, well, <laughs> I've got treats for you. And he's like, see, I can give you treats too. And he's like, oh man, this dude, <laughs> bringing mount, the mountain back from death, creating a a, zo- a giant killing zombie, and doing working with the kids like this. Oh man, this dude is no good. <laughs> <laughs> and he's and he's the perfect actor because he does not seem like he just seems like a friendly old man. He 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 does seem like the kid, the kind of person that the kids would like because he is like this kind uncle. But deep behind all that, it's like. He's just totally capable of torturing somebody and doing all these awful things, and it's like. Whoa, whoa. By the way, is he totally capable of torturing someone doing awful things? Like maybe, but I've, from my perspective so far, he's not a bad guy. Like I'm trying to think, what's the worst thing that he's done? What's the most immoral thing he's done? 
Uh, like just, I don't want to. I'm trying to remember. Like he definitely does some bad things in the book. Maybe I'm maybe I'm confusing book canon with show yeah. canon. Maybe I'm just not remembering. You guys fill us in if if, if I forget something here. But yeah, I'm definitely. I don't want to spoil anything from the book. But there's definitely more reason to he, dislike him from the from the books. But you might be right that there's less. He might be guilty by association, right? Yeah, he's I mean, like he is with Cersei. Cersei yeah, you know, yeah, there's that. Um, yeah. But Cersei is sort of. He is kind of this lost soul, if you will. And she's taken him in. She's gonna win some loyalty, right? And. Uh, hmm. And I feel like, you know what I mean? I, I, I feel like I'm missing something that there's a reason that we should hate him. And I just the, can't remember. The, the person is, who's most I against him is a despicable character himself, Pycelle. Like, Pycelle doesn't like him. Well, I feel like he must be good then. You know? <laughs> <laughs> okay, so, yeah. So we have a little before. Pycelle's a good segue, but we have a couple more things to, to mention here. So Kyburn points out, he's like, well, these are your little birds. Now you're Grace. And Cersei goes, you know, is like, all right, well, we're going to use this. I want you to send them out everywhere i want them in dorn i want them in the veil i want them everywhere she's like i want to know if anyone is benefiting from our loss i want to know so she's a, being aggressive again and to me that is like she's kind of getting back to being cersei like you said she was maybe just like playing nice for a little while she's getting her confidence back she's got the mountain shadowing her everywhere that's got to make you feel more powerful <laughs> and having this killing machine this unstoppable killing machine on your side like doing your bidding and jamie we were wondering what Jamie's reaction to Gregor was going to be, and he's just more like, it's more of a curiosity to him, which is yeah. not exactly the reaction I expected. He's more, he's almost like, I'm, I want to see this guy in action, which is, like I said at the beginning, yeah, like, yeah, us too. I want to see this guy in action, besides head smashing. But remember, Jamie was excited to see the mountain in action. Remember with the duel yeah, yeah, with exactly. Oberon, and, oh, not the, not the mountain, oh, but you Oberon mean too. The actual... Yeah, and then uh, seasons passed, and he was like, season four. when, yeah. uh, when that duel came, Jamie was like, Check it out. These are two great warriors. He's excited for the, the art of fighting, you know. Yeah, so, as, a, as, a, as a student of the game, we'll say. Yeah. <laughs> as someone who's lived his whole life fighting, yeah. I think, by the way, if Game of Thrones is like a, a, a computer game, yeah. you know, and you always, these games always have like all these different resources and meters you have to track, and like gold or whatever. <laughs> One of them would definitely be like ravens. You know what I mean? <laughs> you would constantly be like using ravens and having them get shot down and train you spend more gold to get more ravens. Make the meisters the meisters need more ravens. Yeah. Okay, let's talk about the small council scene. Um, we have Kevin and Olena uh, kind of facing down Jamie and Cersei. We also have Pycelle and Mace Tyrell, but they're kind of they're kind of followers in this situation rather than the leaders. They're kind of like, well, we're part of the small council. We got to do with the small councilly things. And this is where we get the other mention of, of Lord Commander Sir Gerald. This is kind of a sideways reference to him by saying, well, Sir Gerald was sat at the council in his day, but that was the Mad King. Well, no, that's every Lord Commander. The one, the only, that tradition was broken by Robert not wanting Barristan on his small council because he fought for Ares. And he's like, well, I don't fully trust him, you know. Um, so that's interesting. But <laughs> we have the a bit of humor there with... Pycelle talking about how awful the mountain is and this this creature and then he walks in and then he you know farts <laughs> it's just like <laughs> it's kind of a funny way to do it uh so Kevin stays strong Kevin was just had nothing to you know he had he he had he didn't give any ground to Cersei just like called her out for who she was um and didn't have, you know, is standing tall against her. He's just like, no, you know, I, you do not have a place in this council. He's pretty much the only one standing up to her besides Olena. They're, they have that in common, Kevin and Olena, that they're willing to stand up to certain, well, and the High Sparrow, clearly. But he's not part of this small council business. So that's an interesting bit of infighting. We have Lannister versus Lannister. We have potentially Tommen being pulled in multiple directions, which we'll cover in a minute. 
So Cersei and Jamie seem united right now, yeah. but the rest of the Lannister family is kind of, you know, and maybe, like I said, Tommen's sort of in the circle, but there's reason to think that maybe he'll be pulled away from it. So it's kind of like, eh, I don't know what's happening there. And, and the small council infighting is kind of what we were talking about, how this is a big ongoing theme of this season, is like everyone's just infighting. Some of that's been resolved by just people getting assassinated, but this, still in full, you know, fully going on still. So give me a few thoughts on there. What do you think about... Oh, by the way, before that, I want to point out the, the one-liner that seems to maybe have resolved Dorne, or at least tell us what's yeah, happening. Yeah. It's like, well, Arya just took over down there in Dorne with her, with her you know, children. Like, all right, well, yeah. I guess that's how they're going with that. Yeah. Anyway, so yeah, give uh, us your thoughts. I, I think I'm happier with that than having to go down there and go yeah. back in that nonsense again. Yeah, <laughs> but, it's probably uh, the better for the better. Yeah, yeah to, right off the bat, two things I noticed are that Mace Tyrell is back. That was big, yeah. Uh, and two is that uh, Kevin is wearing the hand of the king. Oh, that that was that. that happened last season. Oh, did I, it? I you know I kind of missed that too, or at least I forgot about it, and it happened at the end of last season. Yeah. Hmm. So as hand of the king, he went back to Casterly Rock. Then no, it was that's what brought him back. He didn't. He wasn't hand of the king. He went to Casterly Rock, and then he came back because he was named hand. Okay. Yeah. Um, it wasn't like made very clear, but hmm. it, but I, I double checked, and that's yeah, that's the case. That is odd. It is an odd state that the. Council is in there. Yeah. So when they all, I even had that thought when they're like, "Look, we're here. We're, mm -hmm. we're, we need to talk about this stuff." You know what yeah. I mean? And, Jamie and, uh, had a point. He's like, "We should work together yeah. on this." But Cersei's such a bully that Kevin's like, "No." Yeah. Jamie had a point. He he did have a point about belonging on the council. Cersei did not. There was yeah. just she, she had no lawful right to be there. Sure, she could be a useful advisor, just like Olena isn't technically on the council, but they invited her to be there and bringing Cersei along. Would make some sense, but they didn't, and she was overstepping her authority. And as yeah. as Olena was like, "You're not the queen, because yeah. you're not married to the king." I know that's confusing to your family, yeah, <laughs> which yeah. is funny because Kevin's sitting right there, and that's also her family. <laughs> so he was she was kind of insulting Kevin along the way, but Kevin was kind of in agreement that, that they were insult they were bringing yeah. shame on their family. Kevin so. knows that they're the ones that brought the insult on. Uh, yeah. yeah. So uh, I, I had the thought. I was like, "Well, they could just leave," but in my mind, I'm like, "But if they leave, then what?" Da, da, da. And then they left. I'm like. Well, damn, now I have some secret moving and meeting in a different chamber. Do the <laughs> Cersei and Jamie just talk about things? Like, and if Kevin's the actual hand, then, you know, the army's going to follow him. You know, the, mm -hmm. the taxes are going to go where he says and so on and so on. Or they'll right? have tough decisions to make. Like, yeah. which lord do we obey here? Yeah, some, you know? some loyalties might be challenged. And, and you saw, like, uh, Mace and Pycelle kind of like, uh, I guess we'll go with him. Uh, you know, <laughs> they weren't sure quite what to do themselves, but... Uh, and I don't know if that that choice in that moment is enough for them to pay with their lives if Cersei is on some hellbent quest for vengeance, or uh, <laughs> or if they'll be won back over. Cersei might still be able to uh, manipulate things, even if she's not in a council, or find some other way to maneuver in. Uh, but it is uh, I don't know. It makes it, it makes things even tougher to predict about how things yeah. are going to pan out in King's Landing. Here's a, it may have been an ominous bit of foreshadowing. Kevin says, well, you can, and she's like, you can't, you're right. You, we can't make you leave and you can't make us stay. Not unless you're going to have that thing murder us all. Yeah. Oh, careful. <laughs> don't, yeah, don't care what you asked for there, yeah. Kevin. She may do exactly that. I don't, you know, I don't know, but that seems like going pretty far just to have them all killed. But yeah, you don't want to tempt Cersei because she is a bit power mad. You know, she's just going to do what she can. You if, know, if she Tyrion right. can kill Tywin, Cersei can kill yeah. Kevin. And this wouldn't have to be sneaky at all. She'd be like, yeah, go do it. Yeah. <laughs> like, Jamie was like trying to say, send him into the highs, into the sept there. Just tell him to bring Marjorie out. You know? yeah. Like, 
He's not that powerful, or is he? You know. <laughs> I mean, he may even go in there and kill twenty or thirty people, but they might just be able to slow him down enough. But again, it's like, are they like gonna work together as a unit to stop him, or is they gonna be like, yeah. no one wants to like be the one like, okay, I'll get in the front while you guys hit him from behind. Like, no. Although you do get an idea that they are that the Faith Militant are kind of like blindly yeah, faithful. It's true. They're not worried about their lives as much as they are about their. If anyone yeah. is willing to stand up to Gregor, it will be zealots. You yeah. know, like religious zealots who think they're going to some sort of heaven if they, you know, do the right thing. Now, that's another key thing here, by the way. Uh, they, they, you know, because they talked about the, the trial or whatever. Yeah. Who who would the faith pick to be the... <laughs> that's a tough choice. We don't know. Maybe maybe Lancel, because he's the only named member of the... Of the Does the person they pick of? have to do it? Can they, I like, don't know. It's not, I mean, there's some rules established in the books, but we can't say, we, we yeah. couldn't possibly assume that the rules are going to be the same in the show, and we don't, you know, this isn't, this is a show-only review, so we shouldn't be taking things from the books like that, so yeah, I don't know. I feel I like the only people who could possibly have some chance are people who wouldn't want to do it, even if they're, never mind fear, just their loyalties are different, does that make sense? Yeah. Uh, and regardless, I wonder if on some level, maybe the Sparrow knows, that's fine. She'll ask trial by combat. She'll win. She'll be absolved. We'll move on. That's mm. what God wants. If God wants something different, mm. then God will show me the way. Not mm, at all. But, you know, maybe yeah. he maybe he knows and understands that that is how it will go, and it doesn't matter who I pick. You know. Interesting. Okay, Tommen and the High Sparrow. Important scene here. I think Tommen gets himself all worked up, like he's gonna, you know, really challenge the High Sparrow, and he just ends up getting a lesson of sorts. And this is kind of what I think is happening. The High Sparrow. He's kind of working him over. He's trying to bring him in, trying to like be, trying to work his feelings in a certain way to get control over him, to get influence. Like just like he's doing with Marjorie. He's 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 antagonistic towards Cersei, deflecting towards Jaime, and controlling towards Tommen and Marjorie. And they're the ones who are truly in charge, you know, legally. So I think that's his angle: is to try and get in with the people that really have power and kind of rule through them a little bit. I take slight exception. Okay. Even if everything you're saying is exactly true, which I'm not sure that it is, I still think there's another distinction here in right. how or why he's treated them. They're good. He's appealing to mm. their sense of righteousness. Yeah. He can't mm. appeal to Cersei's sense of righteousness. They can't be part of how he <laughs> deals Jamie's, with her. Or Jamie's, because Jamie just hates him, yeah. Yeah. So I, I think... That's I'm, a good point. Again, I'm, I'm trying to go with the default of him being genuine, that he's not mm. conniving or... or doesn't well, have is, ulterior motives. Is this conniving um, though? If he's really a believer, wouldn't he want to bring the king and the queen into the faith to make them like to, to? Yes, yes, that right. That's that's kind of what I, I mean. mean is maybe it, it's conni maybe it's manipulative, but it's it's still a, a goal that's not like right. that's within his beliefs. It's not like right. outside of what you would think he would do. On some level, he may be trying to uh, manipulate them because they're the ones that have real power, as opposed to Jamie and Cersei. But I believe on another level at least in addition to that, um, is that he thinks they're good people and wants good things for them and hmm. believes in the faith and is, wants them to believe in it too and and is doing a, a good job of, of selling it, if you will. You know what I mean? Like yeah. Uh, I, I think he's convincing and, and um, he is logical convincing. even. He you is. Know? Like, uh, the, the line about how... Cersei's love as a mother is yeah. really special. That was, I thought that was brilliant. Like, that is a genius way to try to convince, not only just as writing, because I thought it was a really good piece of writing, as as a way to convince Tommen of what's happening. He's like, look, see, the divine is in everything. Like, your mother's love. And he makes, he proves, like, look how sh that stands tall, even above all her ambition, everything. 
when she's talking about you or thinking of you, it's the most important thing in the world to her. And, and you believe that, don't you? Tomlin's like, yeah, I do feel that. You know, he's like, it's, it's, conv it's a convincing line of, of, uh, of thought there. And he says, this is the gods. This is the, you know, he's trying to just like show how the gods are in everything. He's like, follow the gods, good things work out. This, even the, the mother's love, it's the purest thing there is. Even your, he's not saying it, but even your evil, you know, cynical, ambitious mother, or, you know, is she still has the mother's love, you know, that she's yeah. still, that's the, you know, above everything. That still comes out, even when it's Joffrey, who is horrible and all that. And he also points out that he didn't have it himself, which is like, he's guilty yeah. Tom and love. He's like, I didn't have that gift, you know? And he's like, oh, I'm just being envious. You know, and then he brushes it off and it's me. Yeah. It's like, man, he's just working him over. This is like old experienced guy talking to this young teenager who's all hopped up on, you know, you know, anger. And is like, I didn't do a good job as a king. You know, I'm going to, I love it when he's like, I'm the king. Like, yes, you are. He's like, what, is, what does that mean to you? <laughs> you know, he's like, he didn't know what to say to that. He's yeah. like, well, you know, let me tell you, son, you know. And he's, he's like, can I sit down? Here, sit with me. You know, it's all just very, he's like. He's really good at diffusing the situation. And uh, the, the, the one thing that I, that, I, that I wish is that despite all this, I feel like Tom and if he had more wits about him, could still maneuver to have Cersei see the resting place of the. Does that make sense? I don't believe that's a sticking point for the Sparrow in the first place. Does that make sense? Yeah. But Tommen is is too overwhelmed by by everything. Yeah. So he forgets why he's even there in the first place. You know what I mean? Yes. He the the Sparrow makes him feel. He goes and upset. The Sparrow makes him feel okay with things. He leaves, and then he's like, "Wait, damn it." Still upset. <laughs> Hold on a second. Am I supposed to let my mom see the dead body? Ah, I forgot to... Ah. <laughs> and it's good. It's too... I, li I really like how it's... he. The Sparrow constantly deflects things that people make about him to something else. He's always like, oh, it's the guy. You know, when, when like when Jamie threatened him in the last episode, he was like, yeah, I'm afraid. Not of you. Of the gods. You know, he always just like manages... To, and Jamie's just like, what do you say to that? You know, he's like, yeah. I'm, I'll kill you. And he's like... Okay, you know, you, yeah, you can go ahead, you know, but still, that won't change anything. He's like, look, you're like these guys will take you out, and they'll still continue. You know, they'll still do their thing. You know, you're not going to stop our Marjorie's still in me. jail. Yeah, uh, like yeah. what will that accomplish? Yeah, it's, I, I really like the the High Sparrow. I think is a fantastic character, really well acted. Jonathan Price is, is fantastic, and when I heard he was going to be on the show, I was like, yes, and that's really playing out well. Well written too, to be fair. Yeah, 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 and some people. Uh, this is, again, I'll just briefly mention how, uh, in a loose way, how this applies to the books. This is all past where the books are at, uh, most of this, or at least in a, in a sense. And that dialogue's not in the books. Good show-only dialogue there, I think. That's maybe some of the best show-only dialogue this season, which is... Some people are highly critical of the show-only dialogue. I think it's hit or miss. Sometimes it's good, sometimes it's not. Good example of it being really good here. Uh, really like I rewatched that scene a few times and just was just like yeah this guy just, just a smooth operator this high sparrow mm -hmm. I got I got I don't like the guy at all but I got mad respect for his game <laughs> all right let's move on to the north there's a few things to talk about here this is sad stuff isn't it this is this is scary and meh <laughs> damn it Rickon ah that's yeah, just like yeah. oh I like cursed at the screen when it happened because I was I was kind of hoping hope that it was Fake Rickon, which I was calling Frickon, but the better <laughs> name was Trickon. Oh, yeah. But it's it was really Rickon and really Osha and the, the wolf's head. And I like the way this Umber was talking to Ramsay, standing up to him. That was kind of cool. But I certainly didn't like where it went from there. 
So it's hard to say where this is going, but it's not good for Ramsey or not good for Rickon. I mean, Ramsey is just a, you know, you know what he is. He's brutal. He's a torturer. Like, how is he going to, how is this going to, this, this can't go well for Rickon. Even worse for Osha. I just, I'm just so worried about what's going to happen to them. What do you think? Um, well, before, uh, I have a lot of thoughts. All right. Uh, one, a couple things I want to say first. Go for it. I I really love the interaction of okay what was that it was the Umber yeah they, get a, they a didn't get a first name, name. It, right. in the, if we assume it's the character from the books who has a much different personality we'll say it would be Small John Umber okay the son of Great John and by the way Great John the actor Great John just left after season two so there was never any resolution with him they didn't recast him but clearly from this scene they say he's dead so okay. I, we don't know whether he was just killed off screen in the Red Wedding or just died in one of the battles in any way he was written out because the actor left and yeah what are you gonna do. Well, I, I liked, I really loved the interaction between him and Ramsey. And specifically, I felt like it was this juxtaposition. It was almost like Ramsey wasn't ever quite that uh, contrary uh, to. <laughs> Ramsey, Ramsey, so contrary. But, <laughs> but <laughs> I felt like Ramsey was behaving more like Roos. Does that make mm. sense? Ramsey's kept his cool. Yeah. And it, it, this guy is being like kind of disrespectful Insulting his and father and, and like, I'm not giving Rames you an oath. Like, <laughs> Rames just saying the line he's supposed to say next. Saying the line. Yeah. And in the back of his mind, he might be like, man, I kill this motherfucker. <laughs> <laughs> in the back of his mind, he might be like, this guy's pretty cool. He's going you know, take shit from anyone. Like he might have some amount of respect for him, some amount of desire to kill him. But he kept his cool through it. He, he didn't get flustered. You can see he, his eh, face like he contorted a little bit, but he controlled it. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and I feel like much like Bruce would have, you know. Um. Bruce probably wouldn't have even shown the, the face distortion, yeah. but he would have been similar, yeah. Uh, he might have given him a look like... Yeah, Ramsey you know, maybe had a little eye. bit more sense of humor about it than Roos would have, although sometimes yeah. you wonder how much the sense of humor Roos has that he's not letting on. But um, but regardless, I thought it was a good interaction. Uh, and uh, I think it's like a... It is a, a dreadful moment, you know. But I will say I had... Uh, one thought that I had... Has you talked to Shad? Did she tell you what she thought about this? The possibility that it's a fake wolf head? Well, not just that. I thought a little bit about the idea of how they're brought in there, hooded. Yeah. Silent. Take the hood off, silent. There's pretty yeah, much no struggle, no, no yelling, talking, yeah. no like, you keep your hands off me, like, this is my umbrella. They're just keeping her, keeping her cool. Maybe they've been smacked against the, you know, snap, smacked yeah. in the head with the butt of a sword enough times they just shut up now. But this guy wouldn't, wouldn't kneel. He wouldn't make take any foul. Yeah. He brings these prisoners in that didn't seem like their faces were all smashed and they, you know, they weren't struggling or yelling in argument. Maybe that's not. Maybe that's not Shaggy Dog's head. Just some other wolf. And this is all a ruse. This is all. Really looked like a dire wolf yeah. head to me. Yeah, it I'm not sure. Big, I didn't think too much about the head. Face. Also, they. It could still be. Uh, it could still be a, a, a trick of sorts. And that could still also be dead Shaggy Dog. They might have still killed Shaggy Dog before they came up with a plan, or Shaggy Dog fucking went crazy and started killing people and they had to kill him back even though they want to have a plan. But I personally think that's a stretch because if your plan is to undermine Ramsey, you cannot put Rick on in Ramsey's hands. He's just going to do yeah. awful, torturous things. And I just don't see how that... They couldn't have known... They know that. So, like, how can this... I don't see what 
this it's just too dangerous of a plan if it's a plan. Like why? I don't. Why not just you, openly oppose him? I feel like it's too dangerous to like to oh, he to to call his father an asshole and accuse him of of murdering him right to his face. That's pretty dangerous too. This guy's doing all kinds of dangerous. Well, stuff. yeah, but he does that what, because he knows he's about to give him this great gift. And right, but funny. how does that great gift help him? Like what is what is his plan? Like Ram, it, can't Ramsey just. Kill Rickon and then kill December and that fuck everyone, you know. Well, like, yeah, but if he does that, then it's exactly what Roos said. It's like, no, who's going to trust you? Who's going to follow him? Like, he's just going to unite right. the North against him. Okay, yeah. He can't. Go, he just can't go around doing that. That's. It's just. It's just not smart. And I'm, I think the Umber realizes that he can't just go around killing lords. He can do it occasionally, but if he just does it just because of an insult, like, yeah, no, he's not going to. He's not going to rule very long. And I guess the Umber is just, Lord Umber is just thinking, well, he can't be, Ramsey can't be that stupid, you yeah. know, and he's, maybe it's a gamble, but Ramsey isn't that stupid. He's maybe that much of a spaz, but he's not stupid, <laughs> you know. Um, I, by the way, I'm not necessarily uh, expecting this. It's something yeah. that was presented to me that I thought was, was worth considering. I was, I, uh, yeah. Because I, I, in fact, what I was thinking is that maybe this guy will bow to him once commitments have been made and wildlings are defeated. Once yeah. Roos, once uh, Ramsey says, okay, fine, I'll help you fight. Here's some troops. They go out, they fight, they build, the, beat the wildlings. Then the armor's like, all right, now I'll swear fealty to <laughs> You know, like, and I could see that being his I, uh, end game. I like also what some of the way they're, some of the nuance in this scene, the Harold Karstark says, you think the wildlings could take Winterfell and Umber fires back with if Jon Snow's leading them? Yeah, they could. And that's pretty cool. So he's like, he's definitely setting up a conflict between Ramsay and Jon Snow, which was already starting to be set up. Now it's even more set up. And now he gets Rickon. And that's one thing Rick, R Ramsay can do is he can threaten Jon because they look who I have. I have, I have, I have Winterfell. I have Rickon. You know, you can use that as leverage in whatever way, as some yeah. sort of threat, as some sort of leverage. Anyway, there's just a lot of possibilities there. Another interesting nuance from the scene was, was Lord Umber talking about how he hates wildlings. He acted so much like one. Yeah, you know, he's yeah. like, I've been fighting, like, my house has been fighting wildlings for, for eons, which is true. They're the most northern of all the northern houses. So they're the closest to the other side of the wall. You know, they're on the right side of the wall. But, of course, when the wildlings sail around the wall to raid or get around in small parties, the Umberlands feel the brunt of that. They're the most likely to get raided. So, but he's like, I don't, I'm not going to kneel, I'm not going to take an oath. It's just like what the wildling would do. <laughs> yeah, it does. It, it also, him saying the wildlings could take Winterfell is like, it's more believable coming from him. He's the yeah. more aware of what they're capable of. He says, especially, there, and right? he, he even points out that John knows more about Winterfell than any of us will. Yeah. He's like, he knows the territory, he knows the land around. He's like, no, that's a real threat, for real. You, you got to worry about that. And even though Harold Karstrick maybe didn't believe that, or maybe that, maybe that made sense to him, I think Ramsey realizes the truth of that. And Ramsey has been, because Ramsey has been saying for a while that Jon Snow is someone he wants to take out. He wants to, partly because he thinks Sansa went there, and he knows that he has to get Sansa back. So that immediately puts him in conflict with Jon. And of course, Rickon is a threat to his authority as well, because he's a Stark and yeah. the true the true heir in this sense. Of course, Bran would come before him, but and and only Ramsey knows that Bran is alive out of out of his court, basically. And so getting rid of Rickon is kind of, you know, could be nice for him to show that, hey, I've got, you know, I've, there's no Starks left, etc. But, <laughs> of course, that's not true. Sansa's out there. Arya's out there. Bran's out there. There's still plenty of Starks left, even though most people think they're all dead. Most people meaning most characters in the series, or in the show, rather. So any more thoughts on this scene? I think it's, it's like, geez, like, we're just, what's going to happen to Rickon? Yeah. I'm just like, yeah. I, uh, I will say, this isn't... It's connected to the scene, I guess. Uh, I was having a conversation at work where uh, 
uh, there's a few people I work with. They just bet on everything. You know, like, you know, <laughs> how many minutes late is Johnson going to be? And like, uh, you know, how, how many, just whatever random thing they can think of, they want to bet. They just want to bet on random stuff, you know. Uh, and so someone wants to bet. They, they, want, they want to draft. Who's going to kill Ramsey? Who's going to be the person? <laughs> and, uh, and, and we, I think we agreed on like four picks or whatever. And like I would, I pick first, then he picks two, then I get the next two. You know, mm-hmm. whoever get, whoever's pick is, it is the highest up. We win the bet, right? Yeah. And it spurs some interesting thoughts in me, trying to think about, think, thinking about who would kill Ramsey. It starts to get you to think about other players and where they're at and where they're moving to and what their motivations are. Uh, and I think that I've made my first pick, Brian. I think she's she's my first pick of who I think is most Ooh. likely to to kill Ramsey. That'd be another big kill for Brian. Uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, <laughs> I, I can't say I, it's unlikely. I can't say it's not unlikely. It's, it's certainly possible. And I think that he picked next after Brian. He got two picks, and I think he. I might be slightly forgetting now, but I think he picked um, uh, John Snow. Mm-hmm. And then he, we, we kind of agreed that if Littlefinger pays someone to kill him, you know, if it's a Littlefinger assassin, well, that counts too. It's a Littlefinger. You know, it's okay. Thing. Yeah, I would agree. And so then I think that I picked after that Tormond, and then I picked uh, Yara, mm. which is kind of maybe a little far-fetched, but I, I can just see it was like, I don't think I'm likely to win with that, but it's pretty deep in my picks, and I, I just want to, it, it got me thinking about how things could go. Uh Never mind the bet. Thinking about all this, <laughs> ghosts occur to me mm. as someone to choose. Yeah, I like that one. And uh, that'd be and so then, much fitting for him to because we talked about how the most the most fitting death might be for him to be killed by dogs. Yeah. Well, this a was, wolf is pretty close to that. This is before <laughs> this is before we saw the episode, and as soon as I thought of ghosts, I was like Shaggy Dog, Shaggy Dog. We know Rickon's coming there. Well, we're pretty sure Rickon's coming there. Shaggy Dog's a little more wild and crazy, and so when he popped that head on the table, I like, <sighs> oh, I guess I was so felt so proud of me for like figuring out. I know what's gonna happen. Shaggy Dog's gonna kill Ramps. Shaggy Dog's not oh, gonna kill Ramps. That's <laughs> so sad. This is our second direwolf head we've had to see. Yeah. And then Lady killed before that. This is the not the dire wolves, yeah, just poor wolves. poor wolves, yeah. <laughs> Sympathy for the wolves. Whose idea was it to keep those wolves anyway? <laughs> <laughs> John's. He still got his. John he and Bran. His, yeah. <laughs> the two that still have theirs. Although we haven't seen Summer in a while. But I'm sure he's still up there with Bran somewhere. Yeah, that, that could come into play, by the way. That's another character that could come into play. Summer, yeah. I, I'm sure we haven't seen the last of Summer. Ooh, Arya could... Arya's wolf is out there somewhere. Arya could put herself away, if you will, into summer and become a faceless man. <laughs> you, mean her, have... you mean Nymeria, her wolf, right? Nymeria, sorry, not yeah, summer, Nymeria. Yeah, yeah. 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 He, she could put herself, Arya, you know what I mean? She could like truly be the girl mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. Arya still be preserved in That'd Nymeria. Okay, we're going to do our credits and wrap up, and then we'll be back to after that to talk about the next on. We got a nice few tidbits of what's coming up next week based on the trailer, what they decided to show us. So if you don't want to be spoiled on that, we bid you adieu, and we'll see you next week, or we'll see you at the Book to Show episode if, that's, uh, if you'd like to check out our Book to Show episode as well. We'll have more details on how this these stuff ties into the books. Thanks to Lord Baron of Hillcrest, wielder of the Valyrian machete Everglazed, still loyal and sworn to the one true king of Westeros, Tannis Baratheon, carrying the torch there. Also thanks to First Lord Cash Craig, Hand of the King, Lord of Mines, Lord of Makers, Lord Jim the Fortuitous of Wars and Politics of Ice and Fire blog, and Warden of the West, Lord George Stormsville the Cunning, Lord of the Chiliad and Warden of the East, 
Lord John of Castle Woodbridge, the Lord Borealis, the Light of the North and Warden of the North, our new Warden of the South, Wardeness of the South, I should say, Lady Kelly McMath of Covington, Lady of the Villa Hills and Crescent Springs, Warden of the South. Outside the realm, we have Rory the Rogue, Archer Extraordinaire and King Beyond the Wall, who has recently subjugated the men of the Frozen Shore. Our small council consists of Lord James Inkblade, the Scholar Knight and Master of Whispers, Lord Robert Jacobs, Master of Coin, Rosie the Clever, Master of Ships, Lord James Tuttle. I'm sorry, Lord, Rosie the Clever, Master of Laws. Lord James Tuttle is Master of Ships, and we are currently without a Grand Maester, if anyone is interested in joining. Our lords and ladies in their castles consist of Lady Dyerlis of Castle Naki, the Alpha Patron, which means, by the way, our first patron ever. Lord Dan of the Red Mountains and Castle Great Bell is Breaker of the Second Stone. Lord Skip of the Velt is Lord of Castle Ganges. Cabethian Frozen is Lord of the Bricks and Castle Crimson Light. Mary Meg is Lady of the Bloody Stepstones. Gregor the Toasty is Lord of the Breadfort. Alicia Everlasting of the Green Blood is Lady of Desert Rose. Geoffrey the Unflinching is Lord of Sand Lake. Lord Greybay is of the Queen City. Lord Ryan of Castle Stonegate is Guardian of the Rocky Mountain Pass. Lord Garen de Havilland is Lord of Devil's Hand Keep. Lord Brandon Slate is the North Hammer and Harbinger of the Old Gods. Lady Bram is Light of Winter's Garden and Beacon of the Northwest. And Lord Mark Joseph is the Snow in Winterfell. We also have King's Justice Sir Troy the Steady, wielder of the Valyrian Steel Blade Fate, as well as Lord Commander Dubbington the Red Bear, who is our Lord Commander of our Kingsguard. We also have the Northern, or rather our Night's Watch members, such as our Lord Commander George the Golden and our First Ranger Fabian Flowers, the Bastard of Green Shield. Green Shield, by the way, is one of the Shield Islands, which we might get some reference to later this season. We'll see. It's on the coast there, near the Iron Islands, sort of. Yeah, we'll find out if that's going to come up at all. So thanks to everyone for the support. Of course, you can also, if you want to get a nickname like that or a title, you can get it posted on our website or read aloud during these episodes. You can check us out. Go to historyofwesteros.com, click on the Patreon link on the right sidebar, and find out all about the different benefits of being a patron, such as getting episodes early, as well as other things, such as the titles, like I said, and access to scripts. We also have straight PayPal donations. If you don't want to sign up for Patreon, just make a straight PayPal donation also through our website. You can also access our Amazon links there. Anything you buy through those Amazon links is credited to us a small amount without changing your bottom line. Your price is the same, so it's a win-win. We got a lot of good stuff marked there, like uh, some books outside of the Game of Thrones series that I highly recommend, as well as a way to check out Game of Thrones on audio for free through audible.com. We've got all the information there on our website. Just check it out. It's all very self-explanatory and a very good deal. So that's that for the credits. Let's talk about, for the last couple minutes here, we still got a few minutes left. Let's talk about what's coming next time on. We see a scene of Sansa, Brienne, and Podrick admitted into what's clearly Castle Black, it seems like, uh, which is where they were headed, so that seems that doesn't seem like any sort of surprise, so I'm not sure whether there's much to be gleaned from that, because that's kind of what we expected. I mean, there was always, obviously some possibility they went somewhere else, they were waylaid, or they had to leave, they, they found out about John, so they decided not to go there, but 
what do you think's coming there? Are they going to get there and John, you know, Sansa's going to see John, or is John going to not be there? It's it's, it's going to be say. just like when the Hound and Arya showed up at the Eyrie, and, <laughs> and Sansa had just left. Sorry, I just missed him. <laughs> like what? It's like two Starks passing in the night. So close. Yeah. Speaking of Sansa, we have our first sight of Littlefinger. Littlefinger yeah. try, telling Little Lord Aaron and Lord Royce that Sansa has escaped Winterfell and is no longer safe with the Boltons. What about when was she ever safe with the Boltons? I think what he said is with the Boltons after her, chasing oh, her. Oh, okay, or okay. Like well, that, that does so, make more sense. Yeah. But I was only joking anyway. But still, that's uh, that's <laughs> you're only cool. joking. She's been safe with the Boltons the yeah. whole time. <laughs> yeah, everybody knows the Boltons are the <laughs> safest place to be, especially your skin is always safe with the Boltons. So I guess we'll see some movement in the Vale. Maybe they'll send an army. Maybe they'll send an army out. Maybe they'll. I don't know what they'll do. But if if Littlefinger is got little Sweet Robin's ear like that, and Sweet Robin is is you know he likes Sansa. Yeah, yeah. Maybe he'll just you know push for things, and I don't know what Jon Royce is going to do. He hates the Lannisters. He's not you know he's he's not allied to them. He doesn't like Littlefinger either though. So probably doesn't like the Boltons. He does not like the Boltons. I wouldn't think, and he does have. At least some reason to be loyal to the Starks. He would even know Jon Snow, right? What did he not? Didn't Jon Snow uh, grow he would, up as a boy at the? No, no, that, that he did not. That was Robert and Ned grew up there. Oh yeah, what am so, I thinking? Sorry. But he would know of Jon. He, I meant Ned, and because of Ned, he might feel some loyalty right, to Jon. Right? Exactly. Yes, you're totally right. Uh, not for the right reason, but you're totally yeah, right. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, so yeah, so that's that's really interesting. And it's kind of hard to predict where that's going to go, but it's super fun to think about, like whether the how the Vale gets involved. There's a number of ways they could get involved. They have a basically untouched army because they didn't fight in the War of the Five Kings at all. And that's huge. Something. Um, I-, I wanted to move on to the the Greyjoy. Okay, let's there. let's talk about uh, the Greyjoy stuff because something I can't remember. I'm pretty sure I didn't talk about in the episode. Thing, something that didn't occur to me until after the episode when Theon said he's going home. I just default assumed that he was going to Iron Islands. Yeah, but uh, wait. Might be going to Winterfell. He might feel like Winterfell is home. And this is coming off the heels of a conversation where he's saying there's there's nothing I could do to forgive myself. And I would have died trying to get you to the wall. Mm-hmm. Maybe he would die trying to get revenge by going back to Winterfell and killing Ramsay. That seemed like a, that would seem like a straight suicide mission just going there. Yeah. But yeah, but I, I thought... Apparently not. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I personally would just assume Iron Islands. I heard, heard yeah. the other explanations... Seem like it had to be there in Islands for the plot to move yeah. the way it needs to. So what we see in this little tidbit is Yara basically... Dropping scorn on Theon, she's he's saying I'm. He's just like holding his head down, saying I'm sorry, and she's like, stop saying that, you know, stop apologizing. What kind of Ironborn are you? Is kind of the message we get there, and so we'll have to see what happens there. All right, real quick, we've only got a couple minutes left. Got to keep this under two hours. YouTube doesn't let you edit videos under two hours once they're recorded up there, so that's that's generally why we have to keep it under two hours. Uh, we have Olena. And Cersei's discussing how Marjorie's going to get the same treatment as Cersei. Yeah. And Olin's like, that cannot happen. And Cersei's like, I agree. I can't decide <laughs> how edited that those, those sound bites were. Could be tricking us. Actually, they yeah. could be tricking us. Uh, regardless, though, I, I, I still don't think it'll happen next episode. But I'm really excited about the trial by combats, which I assume are going to be requested in these... Yes. Uh, and so I think what we're what we're going to see soon is Cersei's "I choose violence." I think that line is coming. I can't wait to yeah. see that. Yeah. I, once again, I can't wait to see the mountain in action, full action. We've gotten a tease. The best is yet to come. We also have. We just don't have time to talk about these things. I'll just mention them real briefly. Tyrion is confronted by a delegation of Myrinese. We're not sure who they are, but they're asking when Danny's coming back. So that's clearly a problem. And he's just lying to them. He's like, soon, yeah. she'll be back soon. He's mm-hmm. just trying to hold tied, you know, 
trying to just bridge the gap between yeah. her hopeful return and things breaking loose. Thing hell, all hell breaking loose. He's just trying to keep it keep it in check. And we have Dario and Jorah preparing 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 for a commando raid on Nadash Kaleen. That seems like how the hell would they pull that off? Of course. They already did some pretty incredible fighting when they, when him and Jorah yeah. and Dario and Grey Worm just like killed everyone when they snuck into that yeah. thing and they just got to die. that was that was actually a little silly. But <laughs> if they can do that, I guess they can take out you know all these Dothraki. <laughs> yeah. But I still uh, think that Dario might bite it here. I think he might be Dario. You think, huh? Well, Jorah's the grayscale thing has got to. I think yeah, they got to do yeah. something else with that. I think I think it actually protects Jorah in the short term that he's got this disease. Yeah. That they've got to do something with That's that. True. Yeah. Dario, I don't see a reason for him to have to stay on. You know, I mean, they could obviously let him live. They don't have to kill him off just because his purpose may have. But it seems expired. like in this, in the, you know, putting themselves in danger's way. Yeah. Someone's gonna die. It does probably seem like it's more. Like that. Although my my thought was maybe it'll be Jorah because he'll he'll even more so put himself into a suicidal yeah. situation. I, yeah. He's it, dead anyway. It could know, be so. a good sneaky thing to do there to make it look like Jorah's the, the the you know the one who has something coming and then just nope. Sorry, that's. Flipped your expectations. Well, folks, that's all we have time for today. Thanks very much for tuning in. We will be back on Wednesday with our Book to Show episode. As usual, plenty more discussions, some things that we didn't figure out uh, because the episode only aired you know, less than 24 hours ago. We can't, we can't figure it all out within uh, that short a time frame. But also, we're doing a lot to connect things to the books and see where more it might play out. Mostly just predictions because most of the stuff is already past the book arcs. We can't really uh, tie it directly. So until next time... Velar Morgolis, Velar Reredus, Velar Rewatches, all that good stuff. And thanks on behalf of Sean and Ashea and everyone else in the History of Westeros team. We'll see you next time.